the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we all can be with us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the elephant in the room. Oh, yes, the elephant in the room. I was Why thinking about that. Why does he always do that? I always. Know. Yeah. You know? It worked out so, you said that it just worked out so perfect that it uh, did sound like you were talking about Jim. Well, we, we love the elephant in the room, I'm telling you. <laughs> we really do. Golly. And Jim, you um, you were busy this week. Yeah, yeah. did a little program for uh, East Memphis, uh, East Shelby County Garden Club. Um, they told me to expect, you know, 20 members or so. Oh, yeah. Um, and there were no parking places to... <laughs> About 50 people showed up. So. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. what he does. It was a good talk, mm-hmm. you know, but, and, I, and I knew it wouldn't be much other than just answering questions because that's everybody wants to talk about what to do now, yeah. what they should or shouldn't do. And uh, mm. so it was, uh, it was very pleasant for about an hour. Just got to sit there and talk, and talk to my friends about gardening, which is what I, I do best. Yeah. You, you know what Jim used to say before he would ever do like a talk? He would say, okay, everybody with a cell phone. Leave it on. Leave it on, because what I'm going to say is not as important as what somebody... (laughs) That's right. That just cracks me up every time I think about it. But you're right. You know, we talked about last weekend about the fleas... Fleas? Fleas? The the fleas and the freeze flash that came through. And the ticks and the fleas. Yeah. 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 You got it. You know what we're talking about. I know an elephant joke with fleas, but I can't tell. See, we're on the radio, Jim. (laughs) Now I'm thinking about that one. I know. It'll make them nuts (laughs) till the break. But really, all we talked about was the, the, you know, the uh, freeze that we had. And basically, every phone call this week, mm-hmm. and there's been numerous phone calls on a daily basis, has been those same questions. Mm-hmm. What do I do? What am I, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Do I go ahead and cut this stuff down? Do I go ahead and dig this stuff up? And we're like, no. You know, that yeah, there's a lot of damage out there, a lot. Mm-hmm. If you drive around, look around, I mean, a everybody lot, knows yeah. it. Now, is there going to be some real damage on some of these plants? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but... Will y'all agree that for the most part, you know, this stuff is, you know, it's it's on the foliage of the plants. Yes. I mean, it's, it, you know, and that foliage is brown and dead. It's going to fall off eventually. But mostly everything I've seen, the integrity of the plant is still fine. Yeah. You know, last week, um, in fact, Kyle mentioned that the, the red hollies like oak leaves and so forth were you know, we're hit pretty hard and we're shedding leaves. And uh, hmm. the one I've got at the, at the house now has no leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the wood looks good. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, two inches down, the wood looks good. The buds look good. So I think they're going to pop out and just, just be fine. Now, we'll have some stuff where, you know, even like lower petalums mm-hmm. who always put out a little late burst mm-hmm. of growth, that all that will burn. And lower petalums may burn all the way back to the ground. Um, Let's hope not, but, yeah, but I hear you. You're going to have a little wood damage and some stuff, but the vast majority of things are not going to die. They're going to recover. Um, Thank goodness. The yeah, exceptions yeah. would be gardenias, maybe Indian hawthorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have not seen any mature ones. Had a chance to look at any mature Indian hawthorns. Mm-hmm. The ones that are, are next door, um, are probably not more than a year or two in the ground, and. And I'm fairly certain they're uh, they're going to be re- have to be replaced. Good lord! Um, but you know, you know. So what is going to be the deal with uh, Indian hawthorn? I mean, because three years ago, you know, Indian hawthorns were in every commercial development in Memphis, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're great plants. I mean, they they fit the bill. 
But then was it, what, last year that we lost so many of them? You know, we had that real deep, thank goodness we had the snow, but then we had that really cold spell. And, I mean, it zapped those Indian hawthorns. Maybe we won't plant them as much. I still feel like we need them. Yeah. Yeah, I but, think you know, so, well, so, I want them. We don't need when them. When you two were still children, and I was in this business <laughs> Listen to this. Um, back in the 70s, the, uh, you know, we never planted Indian mm-hmm. hawthorn uh, in the ground because they, they wouldn't get through any winter. Okay, so right. what's going to be the replacement then? I mean, I know there's a million other things we can plant mm-hmm. other than Indian hawthorn. Well, that's why I think we liked Indian hawthorn so much, is there wasn't anything that was particularly like the Indian hawthorn. Well, but no. remember, we had Kyle on here last weekend from the Botanic Gardens, uh, and he was talking mm-hmm. about the, you know, the damage also. But he also made a reference about the distillium. And to me, the distillium is kind of the replacement shrub for any other shrub, right? <laughs> yeah. There's so many different varieties out there. And honestly, there is a distillium for every spot that you would ever every want. Every color, every form, just exactly. pretty much, yeah. But he was making the comment that he was seeing a good bit of damage on distillium oh, yeah. also. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. I know. I saw an That's apartment. That's replacement plant. It, was. it is. I saw an apartment complex that was just built, and they planted, I bet, 50 distillium. And they they planted it where there were low ones where it would just look like a big low flush of uh, green shrubbery there. But now they're just toast. But I don't know if they're dead, but they're all toast. Mm -hmm. But it looked so pretty. And I don't see what else they would use to make that look that it that it had. My daughter had planted uh, one. It's got some of a blue green color to Mm. it. Uh, Blue cascade or one of those. They look dead. (laughs) I don't see any green wood on them at all. Uh, See, that's going to be a shame if that is the case. I don't know. Because for some reason, I still don't want to give up on them. Not for some reason. I just don't want to give up on them Well, and that was my whole question is, are we going to give up on some of these shrubs? Yeah. You know, whether it's the hawthorns or whether it's distilliums and on down the line. You know, Confederate jasmine. I love that vine. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. It's one of the prettiest vines out there that I think you can grow. It has a beautiful white bloom in the, in the summertime, but I like the foliage of it. Well, we know it's a marginal plant this, this far north, kind of like the gardenias mm-hmm. Jim was talking about. There's no way in this world that people aren't still going to plant Confederate yeah. jasmine. Yeah. And, and I had that question, too. They, you know, people say, well, do we replant gardenias? And I go, well, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, they produce good flowers. Even if you, they only live two or three years, they're inexpensive. Replace mm-hmm. them. Now, don't plant a 50-foot hedge of them, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I don't think we should ever give up on gardenias just because of this. Right. Um, or camellias. Yeah, my, my camellias look really bad. Yeah, I'm wondering. My, my oldest, most established japonica, I think, mm-hmm. may may be toast. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's mm. going to be tough because there's some beautiful camellias, and they take a while to get to that perfect state, mm-hmm. it seems. So... But you're going to have to plant camellias again. I'm not going to say, no, I'm never planting a chameleon. I'm just going to get more. And and do we have a, of course, we don't have a verdict, but do we have a verdict on (laughs) old mop head hydrangeas yet? Well, you know, I'm not seeing, on any of mine, I'm not seeing any good green wood. So so they probably have been frozen back to the ground. Right. But we know they will come back from the ground. You won't get hardly any bloom this year. But same thing, you know, we're not going to stop planting hydrangeas. Because, you know, we have them zip back, you know, one year every, what, 
Every other year now. Yeah, exactly. So that's the other thing. You know, uh, a lot of times I'll say, oh, you know, that was just a freak thing. It's not going to happen again for 10 more years, 20 more years, maybe 50 more years. But yeah. it seems like I've been saying this is the third winter. I've said, oh, that's just a freak thing mm-hmm. because we keep having little freak weather. So then I'm going... Well, do we now start planning for this situation? Mm. And, that, and that's my whole thing, you know, is do we change our way of thinking when, we, when we're landscaping as far as what shrubs we, you know, pick and choose because of our crazy weather? You know, Paul Little always said, you know, we're the dark hole of horticulture here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because honestly, from one day to the next, you don't know what the weather's going to be. So I think we'll just keep doing, you know, what we've been mm-hmm. doing. Uh, like Jim was saying, you know, I'm not going to not plant gardenias. You know, yeah. and like he just said, I'm not going to have a 50-foot hedge of them. Right. But right. I'm going to have some in my landscape, you know. And then the thing that's going to be is really interesting to me is how many micro-environments there are. That's true. And then how many that I never even realized could possibly be a micro-environment. When I left here last week, I went by and looked at a friend's house, and uh, she had two mature clieras. The one on the east side, I don't see any green wood on. I mean, I went down on the <clears throat> trunk, and I don't <clears throat> see anything. The one on the west side has got 10 inches or so of what appears to be dead wood, and then it's green. But it's Crazy. on the west side. Yeah. It's wrapped in concrete with the driveway there. Same so, truck. Right. And just, you know, 50 feet apart. But yeah. the little environment that they're in is just uh, so different. So you're going to see a lot of that. Wow. Well, I guess it kind of equates to the same when me and my uh, – Cousins would run through the woods, and it would be a cold day, and you could find all these little pockets oh, yeah. to, to hide in and right. chill out and talk and all of that. Um, so you learned where there were areas where the weather was nicer than the other. Well, I guess so. you also learn in your landscape where right, yeah, <laughs> there, you do have those little microclimates. Kind of feel the same way. But yeah. think about it. I mean, you know, and I've, I've told this story before. My mother had a rosemary plant that was the biggest, prettiest, healthiest rosemary plant in Shelby County, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was on the south-hand side of the house, against the wall. And, you know, the trunks were as big as a, you know, almost like a small oak tree limb, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, year before last, we had that sudden drop in temperature. And just for some reason, that, mm-hmm. that got it, you know, where all the other ones before didn't. But that is a little microclimate back there. Now, of course, there's another one back there now. <laughs> well, I don't know how I made it this year, but you're exactly right. I mean, you can have the same plant in, in the same landscape. Mm-hmm. Look absolutely fine after this flash freeze that we had, and then one like Jim said on the east side of the house that looks completely dead. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make any right, sense. Right. Had, had one lady asked uh, after we talked for twenty five thirty minutes or so about everything that had happened. She said, "Do you have any good news?" I said, "Well, would you happen to be in the nursery business?" Because <laughs> that's the good news. We'll talk more about your plants and the good news after this break. You can call us at nine zero one two six zero. Five nine two six. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You can call us at nine zero one two six zero five nine two six. Stream us online. Uh, watch us on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. If you start snoozing here or there, you can pick up the podcast later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the course, garden page. Uh, Mid South Gardening Gym Zone. Gym six, Zone. Seven, eight, yeah, Gym Mid Zone. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> Mid-South Gardening. It's our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Yeah. Um, and, and we have uh, we picked up a whole bunch of new members in the last uh, two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, some on the Gulf Coast, some over on the East Coast. 
uh, that have stumbled across it. And, and that's why I put the Zone 6, 7, and 8 back in into our description because, it you know, our problems are pretty much the same. Right, uh, right. So we're, uh, we're getting, some, getting some good feedback from them, too. I tell you what, you, you just wouldn't believe what Zones 6, 7, and 8 you know mm-hmm. what? What they, uh, you know, the area that they that yeah. they encompass. Because even Zone Seven typically is what we're in. If you look at a zone map, I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same thing all the way up the west coast, all the way up to Oregon. Well, that's the reason I put so. all three name six, seven, eight back in because in the last week we varied between all mm-hmm. three of them. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. I know this is. I'm starting to find out that so. You know, it, it, we always talk about how the mid south's horrible up down, up down with it the temperature, is. but. It's like that in a lot of places, it is. really. I mean, but it does, it can make it pretty, I mean, it's challenging to grow here in the Mid-South. I mean, it can be the best growing season in the world, but then again, you can have a year like we had, you know, a winter like we're having now where you have 60 degrees, you know, three days before it was minus 10. Mm-hmm. And that's just not common, you know, and it's surely not good for plants. Um, you know, they have... Poor people. <laughs> yeah, but the plants had no time at all to acclimate to cold weather whatsoever, so it's not really just the cold. It's the sudden drop in temperatures What's that gets thing? us, you yeah. know? We're getting colder weather much later in the season right. than we used to. You know, we could pretty much depend on a good frost, you know, around Halloween. And now it's two weeks later or so before we usually see our first frost. Um, yeah, so, I've been... You, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just well, I walked all over you. That's all right. <laughs> You know, we just we need that cold temperature for plants to get get it in their head that it's time to right. start going dormant. Right. And, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that happens in the plant as far as, you know, changes in chemistry and water moving up and down and this sort of thing that uh, we can't we just we don't think about. Well, no, we take it for granted that right. they just go dormant. You but, know? you know, with these, like, well, this was a, a probably once in a century event here, but we've had several here in the last few years where it's been so warm, nothing really had hardened mm-hmm. off. And then we get these rapid drop. Mm-hmm. You know, the December 19th, their December um, 2019 uh, November 2019 freeze yeah. that damaged so much stuff. That was the Japanese maples right. and the hydrangeas. And but the it, it only went to 26 degrees. Mm-hmm. But right. we got a lot of damage in Think that. about that. It only went to 26. Yeah, right. did that. It's just everything was plump and juicy. And it just, uh, you know, as we've talked about, when you got a frozen trunk on one side and suddenly right. it's 50 degrees warmer on the other, that's not good for plants. Now, what about Japanese maples? Do we have? Do we know anything yet? Because, you know, we saw there again what happened back in 2019 on Japanese maples. And I had a gentleman into the garden center yesterday, <laughs> and he was just kidding. He said, are y'all going to have a nice supply of Japanese maples this spring? And I said, well, yeah, we always do. He said, well, I think I might need to buy a few more. And I'm like, well, we don't know yet, you know? Probably not. Um, you know, most of the cracks that happen with freeze you don't see until April or May yeah. as the the sap's rising and that trunk begins to expand a little bit and right. then you'll see the crack. They're hairline cracks right now. I mean, they'd be very difficult to see. And I've looked at uh, a number of crepe myrtles, a number of Japanese maples, and so far I'm not seeing that. But I know it's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just particularly any Japanese maple that was ex- exposed to uh, full sun in the morning, uh, it, it's going to be tough on yeah. them, I'm afraid. Well, I, I remember <sighs> for way in the past talking about 
how oh your your roses bloom up to Christmas. You know our containers we leave out through Thanksgiving up to Christmas. You know the weather's not really does anything intense, and now it's the opposite because like you said we're our frost our freeze dates are sooner, and then. Also, I feel like we're really cold early, and then we're warm for a little bit, and then we're cold again, right, when spring's starting to happen, then it's snowing. Yeah, and, and looking at the frost. 90-day forecast yeah. from, the, from um, the USDA, it's, um, it's going to be wetter than normal, but it's going to be much warmer than normal, mm-hmm. so and, you know, there's a real possibility winter has passed. That's what I feel. Other than just, you know, little light frost like mm-hmm. we have occasionally, but... Um, there's nothing in the forecast that really indicates that we're, we're going to have, have a good cold, sustained, yeah, yeah no ten inch snow or anything like that. That that's in, of course, you know, Mother Nature right. hadn't made her mind up, you know. By, and we, and about we all know, yeah, and right. we all know what can happen in February around here. Right. So. Right. But I say I feel the same way. For some reason, I just have this instinct that it's like the winter's over. You know, but then again, so we many have the bulbs are popping but, out of yeah. the ground. Hyacinths are beginning to come up. Jungles yeah. are coming up. Um, the hellebores are popping back out mm-hmm. and bloom. They so popped out quick, didn't yeah. they? So yeah. you know, they, they, like, they think that it's going to be spring. Uh-huh. But what about yeah. the notion? And we I know we touched on this last weekend. Also, was going out there and people. You know, the hardest thing to tell someone is we got to be patient. We've said that many times, right? Uh, but also, the hard thing to tell people is hold off on the shearing right now and the pruning you know just if you know something's dead of course obviously you can cut anything dead uh dead tissue never does you any good you can always cut that out but most people don't know that a lot of that tissue that looks dead right now is not dead so we were saying you know i've had so many phone calls there again this week people want to know can i go ahead and start cutting all that tissue back i'm like no Mm -hmm. you know just hang on a minute because a lot of that tissue there again that looks dead potentially isn't dead. In fact, most of it's not. But also pruning, especially if you do some, you know, a good bit of pruning, you are encouraging a plant to flush out, you know, to go ahead and start mm-hmm. flushing back out. And like we got Jim and Veda just talking about, with these warm temperatures, they surely could. And that's the last thing you want is new tissue being forced out prematurely because we're not done with winter yet. So, you know, I, I get it. People hate the look. Honestly, their landscape has never looked this bad before, yeah, ever. yeah. They're ready to get out there with those pruners and really clean their landscape up. But in this case, I think you're much better off just holding off for a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's see where all this goes. Let's get through the winter. And when things start to flush out in the spring, like I tell them, I said, you'll know then what needs mm-hmm. to be cut out. Yeah. So yeah, I did not realize how much the evergreens were noticeable <laughs> In the winter, if that makes sense. You know, you just kind of get used to seeing the evergreens around. But now that all the evergreens are ever brown, I feel <laughs> I feel disconnected from Memphis because there's just everything's brown. Well, no and, green and that's here, what I, no green there. Or I agree, like the, um, like we were talking about earlier, the hollies. <laughs> They're so different looking. There's no leaves, but they have all these green stems sticking up mm-hmm. like, oh, help me. <laughs> well, and there's happened? still a lot of green out there depending on what planet is and, of course, where it's located mm-hmm. uh, in the landscape. Like I were talking about a while ago, you can have a cleara on one side of the house that's completely brown. Same shrub, cleara, on the other side of the house that looks okay except for the tips are burned on them. Oh, well, and you know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen on every space that 
where you need them to match. Like, oh, yeah. you know, so one's yeah. definitely going to be dead and the other's not. And for every space that needs to match, the one's going to die. And, and, you know, and then we always preach about people mulching their beds. You know, to me, mulch, you know, most people put mulch down for aesthetic reasons. Honestly, mm-hmm. they just do. But it does hold the moisture in in the summer. But just as important, it, it, it insulates those roots in the wintertime. I mean, in you know, there are now some people go overboard and put way too much mulch down, you know, but you know, Japanese maples, for example, you know, they're very shallow rooted. They don't like a heavy layer of mulch on their root system, right? A lot of people don't even put mulch around Japanese mm-hmm. maples, period. But I think we're getting to a point where, you know, we do need to insulate our roots at some point somehow, right? I'm not saying you have to go overboard, but even on hydrangeas, let's say the hydrangeas are killed to the ground. If that root system is still alive, and if it's insulated, uh, it has a much better chance of being alive. They will come back from the root. So, you know, it's one of those things where a small thing like mulch is overlooked, but I think it's something that we need to keep in mind of and start doing it every year. And that's one of the issues, I think, that we're yet to find out is how deep that soil froze and how much damage. I agree. We have extremely shallow roots here on pretty much everything just because of the nature of our clay soil. Uh, So, you know, if it's... If it's in a place where that ground froze six to eight inches deep for, you know, basically four or five days, we could see some plants just not re-sprout from the root. Absolutely. Hopefully it'll be privet, but, you know. <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> but probably not. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah and there's things that, get, that are going to flush out but still uh, maybe be root dead and not yeah. able to take more nutrients. A lot of stuff's got carbohydrates stored in it. They're going to mm-hmm. flush with new growth. They're going to flower. Well, Everybody's was... going to be a happy camper. Yeah. And then in June, it's going to look like it, hot water and was that was going to be yep. my next comment. You know, what's going to happen this summer? Yeah. Uh-huh. What's going to yeah. happen this summer is some husband's going to have to sleep on the couch because his wife says, you killed my blacks. Yep. <laughs> we'll be back after this. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. We are here this morning, obviously, because we did not win that billion-dollar... Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's what I was going to say. Well, I'm leaving mega since millions. I won the, the, the Mega Millions. But uh-huh. I would still come up every morning, even if I... Not every morning, but every Saturday morning, even if I won. You no, would. she wouldn't. I, would I? I'd no, have to do it by phone I? from the coast. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Would I? Remember um, last week when I was talking about the, the five habits or the habits of um, gardeners or all the things that we like to do, and uh, gardening was number four, and number three was drinking tea, and I was confused. I was like, how can number three be the, the one of the biggest pastimes, mm-hmm. and then gardening be number <clears throat> four? But then I realized... <laughs> I was reading the top 10 most popular granny hobbies, <laughs> but I didn't know I was reading granny hobbies because I'm, well, ooh, I am a granny. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I'm not a granny. I'm a Nona, but I was like, I like to do these antiquing, playing cards, collecting, drinking tea, gardening, crafting. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wish it's you a granny seen the, hobby. Seen the look on Carol's face the other day. One of, one of our grandsons has, has met a young lady who has a, a child from mm-hmm. a, a previous marriage. And um, 
And so Carol was just talking, and all of a sudden she said, well, I guess I'm a great-grandmother. And it, you, the look on her face when she realized she's not just a grandmother now, she's a great-grandmother. It's like, hang on a minute. Oh, no, I know. It can't be true. Like Veda said, if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there we are right there. Shoot us a text. Mm-hmm. And then, like Veda said earlier, kwmradio.com, streaming live all the time. Go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want it. Uh, and Jim and Veda, we were talking about, you know, of course, the, the damage that we're seeing out there, which is it's real, no doubt about it. But, you know, my thing now is, you know, how much stuff are we going to see, like you were talking about going into the break, is how much stuff are we going to see decline you know, when it starts to get hot this summer. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't understand. They're like, hang on, what do you mean? If it flushes out in the spring, you know, we're on our way, we're fine, right? Well, maybe not mm-hmm. so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would be would be something? I see it. seems like I see that with trees a lot more. Well, I think on a, just a lot of plants that if, like, Jim, I, I think trees more than anything, Veda, anything that's mm-hmm. got a trunk on it. But, you know. <laughs> like an elephant? <laughs> yeah, like a <laughs> But, Here we go again. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, plants have the stored energy to flush out in the spring. I mean, it's just the natural cycle. They do that. So you can see a plant or a shrub flush out because of that stored energy that they have that's already in the root system. But then, the you know, as soon as it starts to get warm or hot, it starts to decline. And we're like, you know, like Jim was saying, that's when the wife starts you know, pointing the finger at the husband, like, why did you kill my plant? So, you know, it's going to be a, a, a long year. We're going to have to wait and see. Because, just because some of the things that do flush out this spring, which is a great sign, don't get me wrong. You know, you, that's what you want to see is your plants flush out in the spring. If they don't flush out, definitely something's wrong. But it's not going to be unimaginable that even some of those plants that flush out mm-hmm. will still decline when it starts to get really hot in the summertime. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at when the post on Jim's site and uh, the lady was posting that her weeds, they were untouched by the freeze. <laughs> and I started thinking, well, you know, that could be a good thing because we're actually coming <clears throat> along understanding that so many weeds are edibles. So at least our food still survives. Yeah, no and, I, and I told you all this story last year. I was talking about eating weeds. <laughs> it was just <laughs> alien to me. Uh, good friend of mine, Bland Britton, who lives over in Arkansas, uh, he was picking a lot of, is it amaranthus or pigweed or mm-hmm. something? Pigweed, so, yeah. Pigweed. And, of course, it grows on the side of the road. And I'm thinking, Lord. So he, he harvested some pigweed, uh, cooked it, even brought it over to me. And it was warm when he brought it over. And I'm <laughs> thinking, okay, I'm going to start eating this bowl of greens, which is I know is a weed. But then again, it's only a weed. Really, if we look at it that yeah. way, right? If you're Y'all, told it was, that. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it mm-hmm. tasted just like greens to me. But... I was just thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's the stigma behind yeah, it. I'm sitting strange. here eating a weed. Right, right. It Well, it'll evolve. Like my great-granddaughter that <laughs> I don't have <laughs> <laughs> will be serving me pigweed and uh, nut grass rolls or something like that. Well, and it won't even be weird to them. And, yeah. <laughs> and to me, it was not only that I was eating a weed, right, mm-hmm. that just didn't seem right, Uh there's no telling what had been sprayed on that particular weed that came over from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just telling you, I mean, yeah. you know, and it, every 
drive through Arkansas in the spring and summer, all you see is crop dusters everywhere, yeah, right? right? So I'm sure this thing had been sprayed three or four times with God knows what. Yeah, but, you know, as long as you and I have been in the business, they're not even going to have to embalm us. They can lay us in the ground, and we're going to look the same right. in 100 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so full of DDT, Dieldrin, Aldrin, oh, yeah. uh, Heptachlor. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yes. some of those there really... be, All the worms within 50 yards are going to die from when they put me in the ground. Run another way. <laughs> Jim, we had I met, we had a texter, uh, Mary Tiddale. She said, "Hi there. Everything is um, everything I snap is green. Uh, should I be relieved yet? You know." So, Mary, and thank you for the text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good sign. It is a good sign, mm-hmm. and we should yeah. be relieved on anything we go out there, whether we bend it and it you know it doesn't break, whether we get out there with our thumb or and scratch it. You know, it's still green up under there. I call the old scratch test. Those are all good signs. Uh, and even on some shrubs, that I, azaleas, for example, I mean, they look horrible. They really mm-hmm. do. They look dead. But I haven't scratched an azalea yet that doesn't have good green tissue in the, in the stems. Went to a house I told you, last weekend after the show. She's got a Formosa in Southern mm-hmm. Indica, which to me, of all the Southern Indicas, is the least hardy. Yeah. Okay. The flower buds look good. Wow. How can that be? I know. It just surprised me. It's in an elevated bed, but it is heavily protected by stuff around it. But, it, you know, that doesn't do anything for the cold. Uh, now, it may collapse and not come out, but yeah. I, mean, right. I was just, I took one of the flower buds, pulled it apart, and it really looked fine. So, so, so far, so good. Yeah, I haven't yeah. done that. I saw a camellia on the property from a distance, and the buds look good, but I haven't checked to see if they really are. Because a lot of things still look just perfect, but when you start touching them, they mm-hmm. fall apart. Well, but we tell people, I mean, that's a simple way to go out there, you know, just gently bend the tissue and see if it's still, you know, pliable and mm-hmm. flexible. Or give it the old scratch test, you know, because most of the things that we scratch are still good and green up under there. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have some tip burn have to go in there later on and cut off some of the tops of these plants and selectively cut out the dead tissue. But Jim was making t- making a comment about these, you know, these big-leaved, what, southern indica azaleas, like Formosa, mm-hmm. that has that big, beautiful purple bloom. Um I'm surprised. I'm surprised we're not seeing more damage mm-hmm. on those type yeah. of plants, to be right. honest with you. Yeah, you know, and... I, some people I know just want to go ahead and get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. And what I, I'm telling them, you know, on particularly plants like Indian hawthorn, things like that, that are not likely to have any green wood, just start. Cut six inches off, mm-hmm. you know. Just keep cutting a little bit off. And if by chance you hit green wood, stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't prune any farther. Because like you said, if, if you cut it back, it tends to encourage them to sprout. Right. And normally that's 45 days or so after you cut. Right. And that still puts us in that time when we could have a frost or heavy yeah. freeze. And, I know. I'm like, what are we going to do? Right. So... <laughs> You know, if you want to start trimming, just do it a little bit at a time. And then if you come to Greenwood, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's, with the dead foliage on the, or a little foliage on the Indian Hawthorn, it ain't going to give it any more protection. Right. Yeah. So, That's right. You know, yeah. and there's some plants like, Cubas, fatsias, mm-hmm. I go ahead and shove, shove them off the ground. Well, and that's good. You, you made that point last weekend about the soft tissue plants like yeah. Akubas. You know, they're soft tissues uh, and uh, fatsias and so forth. A lady, case to point, brought in, she had a pot that had this beautiful, uh, almost aloe plant in it. It might have been a yucca. Uh, well, I think it was an aloe, actually, because it was a really thick, mm-hmm. uh, juicy 
yeah. you know, Agave, type plant. Maybe? Uh, well, no, it was it was like an, an aloe yeah. that she had had some, from a small plant, and then she kept bumping it up to bigger sizes, and eventually it was just a big plant. Well, it, you know, it's, it's like a pet. It becomes part of the family because she had had it for so long. Well, she had it outside, and it was too big to bring indoors, so she at least pulled it up close to the wall of the back porch. Well, of course, that wasn't good enough. Yeah. And it just nuked this thing. And I, she's like, what should I do? And I said, get all this yucky, gummy, slimy stuff out of here. Get it off. And let's see if it comes back from the root. Now, you got to, you know, put it in a in a fairly warm spot and see if it will come back, which I don't think it will because it was in a container. Yeah. And, of course, anything in a container is more susceptible to even the roots freezing. But it that made me think, Jim, of what we talked about last weekend, these very soft tissue plants that become just muck. Yeah, yeah. like the cabbages and the kales. Yeah, those and the pansies gross. and the olas yeah. and elephant ears and fatsias and mm-hmm. akubas, yeah. those kind of things. I don't care if you go ahead and clean them up, yeah. you know. Nandina's another one. I'd clean them up anyway mm-hmm. and, and poison them and when you do it. But other <laughs> than that, you know, so many of them, you, they, people don't know how to trim them. They get top heavy or do we need to go to a break i can just say go ahead okay they get so top heavy they shade underneath so you have these long tall canes with nothing on them now thanks to this freeze you got long tall canes with no growth on them (laughs) yeah yeah so this is a good time if you want to prune them go ahead and start we talking about take six inches off keep cutting down stagger the heights you know if you come to green wood stop Mm. if you don't find any green wood go all the way back to the Mm. ground you know so you know there's some things you can do they can't be gone. Nandina's, I'm sure they just cannot be gone. We're not (laughs) that lucky. No problems there. Yeah. All right, y'all. We're going to take a break. Give us a call, 901-2605-926, or post a question on our Facebook Live. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, what else? Um, The cryptomerias, though, are they the tall ones? I tell you what. Will the leaves are are the because the those the foliage isn't going to come back green. Is no, it? that foliage is, is it really toast. Good? It's so um, hard to imagine that it could fall off. Well, <laughs> on I know. these big evergreens. But I had so many back. people call me about cryptomeria this week also, and and I love cryptomeria. Me too. I mean, of course, there's some beautiful evergreens: arborvitas, Leland cypress, uh, you know. Uh, arbovite, uh, uh, cryptomerias. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. so many beautiful evergreens out there. But I'm telling you, out of all of them, I really love the cryptomeria. But to see the shape that there are the Jim, the damage that they have Veda right now, I'm like, my God. I mean, and I haven't seen one cryptomeria yeah, that, that doesn't look completely like it went through a forest fire, honestly. So, do you, do any idea, Jim, the verdict on cryptomeria? I mean, I can't imagine them being dead, honestly. Well, yeah, you know, technically there are zone five hardy or so. Okay, well, good. Yeah. The, the, the question is, again, how much damage was done primarily to the trunk. All right, so not much the foliage we're seeing. We're, the don't be that gonna, concerned about yeah, that. It's right. going to burn off. You know, in fact, we had somebody uh, on our Facebook group up in uh, northwest Tennessee who put a post a picture of theirs. There's a fine. Hmm. Their Ushans look fine because they've had some snow up there. They've had some colder weather yeah, okay. uh, and had hardened off more, and then they didn't have this massive leaf drop like this. Now, the question is whether when it puts out this, it's lost a couple of years of needles. You know, they hold their needles for uh, some of them up to three years or mm-hmm. so. 
Now it's going to have just new growth put out. Nothing but. Is that going to be enough to support that plant? Right. Um, Not so much that the winter killed the plant. Mm -hmm. It's the other circumstances that will weaken that plant. Yeah. And, and yeah. think about that. That's, that's one of the questions, something. and we just don't know yet. It's going it's to be a little time before we oh, can tell. That will be, well, I was going to say that would be one of the saddest losses. To me, would be the large cryptomeria. But then I don't know, and I'm thinking about what about the camellias? That'll be pretty sad. Oh, yeah. um, gardenias, that doesn't bother me so much because, yeah. you know, they come, they grow pretty quickly. Yeah, they and you can lose come those every few years anyway. Right, but you know, right. But yeah. The reason I was shaking my head, though, was most of your, think about it, most of your needled evergreens, you know, whether it's, you know, the cypress and the cedars, uh, the arbovitas, the pine trees, you know, Usually the needled evergreens hold up just fine, you know, in our winter. Hold up fine, uh, but it, but not the cryptomeria. I mean, and that's what – I didn't know if there was something different about that plant that, you know, a pine tree. Look, go look at a pine tree. It's just there. They're it absolutely fine. It's like they got their own antifreeze in every needle, right? Well, to me, a cryptomeria reminds me of a conifer, Okay. And, so, and how in the world right. would a conifer so why, have why we're seeing so much damage on the cryptomeria and not some of these other plants? I don't know. So again, just the the unusual drop in temperature so quickly. I yeah, think. just some plants that won't take that. Well, they're not used to that. What's well, we, amazing is that there are plants that will take that. <laughs> That's yeah. almost what's more amazing to me. All right, so you know, I know we only got a few more minutes before we go to the top of the hour. So I mean, and it's. You know, in a nutshell, guys, uh, what to take away from all of this is let's just be patient. Uh, we can surely cut out the dead tissue if, it, if you know it's dead. If you're not sure if it's dead or not, just leave it alone. And no matter what, weeds are going to survive. Yeah, they are. And the insects are going to survive also. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to have just as many mosquitoes, yeah. you know, this summer we as we've always had. And let me give you an idea here of how tough some plants are. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, this little plant here is a – show them a picture here. It's mm-hmm. a silene stenophila. It's a little narrow-leaf um, Silene that grows up in the Arctic tundra, north, uh, you know, <clears throat> north part of Japan, really cold, cold temperatures. This is like a uh, perennial gem? It or? is a perennial, yeah. yeah. Um, and this particular one was grown from seed that was 32,000 years old. <laughs> Apparently what happened, there was in this Arctic tundra, there was a ground squirrel nest of a, quite a large area. And they had were eating this plant and storing the seeds hmm. and and suddenly there was like a th- this was in the permafrost so there was a flash flood it froze immediately yeah and for 32,000 years it that stayed seed there. was embalmed in right. the ice if you take fresh seed of this plant you'll get about 90 percent germination uh-huh. they got a hundred percent germination out of this seed oh, that wow. was 32,000 years old good lord that's now the new record previously it was the dwarf date palm which we sell as a mm-hmm. house plant phoenix dactylifera had been grown from 2,000 year old seed <laughs> but this one was grown from 32,000 year old seed <sighs> Good Lord. Wow. How do you date a seed? I guess you date what's around it. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, wow. And, and it's pretty easy in the tundra because I don't know. It's all that. Right. <laughs> right. So plants have a will to live, mm-hmm. you know, and they mm-hmm. generally have a way to live. And, and this one is slightly, it's a little bit different as far as the petals. 
So the question is, have we unleashed something now? Oh, no, right? A God. new is this thing carrying a new virus? Just a new kudzu, or probably. Is it the cure? Is this where COVID came from? No. Yeah, I'm exactly. going with the Let's cure. Let's get us a good conspiracy <laughs> theory going here. Golly. <laughs> right. But wait, is it pretty? Let me see that. What, it, what's it, the it, common name so we can? Yeah, look it narrow up? leaf uh, silene. Narrow leaf, narrow uh-huh. leaf silene. S i l s i l e n e. Yeah. The other thing that we want to bring up once again is plants might need a little extra energy this spring to really flush everything back out. Uh, And a lot of people are biting, chomping at the bit to go out there and start feeding now. And I get it. You know, I understand why. Uh, But then again, just like cutting them back prematurely, you don't want to force new growth prematurely. And you don't want to feed plants this early in the year. Now, If you've got something completely organic like a milorganite type Mm -hmm. product, your compost, not a problem. Yeah, your compost <laughs> would be fine. But at the very least, go out there around, let's say, around um, uh, mid-March and put a good uh, slow-release uh, you know, shrub fertilizer down like a 1266. I, because if you, even if you've never done it before, I think this is the year that you need to do it because these plants are going to need a lot of energy there again. Think about it. You know, we've said this before. Evergreens always shed. You know, right. every year they shed some of their leaves or needles, and they replace them every year. Well, this year they're going to replace all of their leaves mm-hmm. or needles, so they're going to need that extra boost, that extra nutrient yeah. value. I'm so going, I think feeding yeah. this year is going to be important. I'm going with giving them a slow wake up. You know, if you're under stress, you've been through a lot of stuff, you don't want to have a big cup of coffee and jump up and and run and try to and try to uh, continue on. So I want my things to slowly wake up. I'm just going to stick with compost. And I'm going to say I'm not going to do any fertilizing whatsoever until mm-hmm. probably May. May. So there. So it can. We got three opinions go, here. Yeah. Well, in, in my opinion, is if you use something like a coated fertilizer, like a twelve six six, you you know it's got a little bit of a quick release. It's got a mid release, and it's also got a slow release type nitrate in there. So it's not like it's this flash yeah, of you're nitrogen. Not doing you're not forcing 13, these things yeah. out prematurely. Uh, but they, they have that extra uh, nutrient value. Uh, organic products, not a problem whatsoever. Uh, but, and I agree with what you're saying. I'm not going to go out there and put urea around my azaleas come early spring, right? But, Jim, you're saying you're going to wait a little bit longer than I would yes. for a reason. Yeah. More sap flow, maybe? Just to make sure, you know... We say we feed plants. We don't. They make their own food. Right. I okay. got you. And they do that quite well. We don't have to do what we give them is some other things that they can use for to build cell walls and other processes that go on. Uh, and I am just a little leery of forcing growth on a plant that may not be able to support it. So we'll talk more about this after the break. You're listening to Mid South Garden. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. We're at our second hour and we're still gardening. Yeah, Early we are. in the morning. 
chilly morning. I think it's at freezing, 32, maybe somewhere around that. Yeah, Not too so. bad. No, I mean, it is January. Come on, That's now. right. If you want to give us a call, 260-901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, guys, and shoot us a text. And uh, later on, anytime, kwamradio.com. You can go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want. Um, so um, I want to make sure that we're thinking about our birds and taking, making sure they've got all their bird feeders are clean. You know, you know I, we we threw the bird, I filled the bird feeders up and all of that. Right. And then it got really, really cold, of course. They had their food and everything they needed. Then it's rained and uh, went out and looked at one of the bird feeders. It was kind of dirty and yeah. icky. So, you know, bird feeders <coughs> need cleaning out, too. Yeah, they do. And one of the things, you know, David Hill, my really good uh, retired pilot friend. Remember, we had him on the radio show before talking about bluebirds. Yeah. I mean, bluebirds are one of his just favorite birds of all times. And he's been around the world taking pictures of all kind of birds. I'm telling you, sea-going birds, inland birds, marsh birds. But it comes down to the old bluebird. You're I just mean, a marsh bird. Yeah, That's but, all you But are. the bluebird is his favorite <laughs> bird, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And he goes around uh, Shelby County and the counties around Shelby County, and he actually puts up bluebird houses, okay, uh, just to have habitat. Now, one thing I was concerned about, and it made me think about it, uh, because I also have a bluebird house in my backyard, and I always get, it seems like, a couple of broods every year. Well, I remember year 2019, Jim, you're talking about when we had that really sudden cold spell. Uh, a lot of the bluebirds, they're in the bluebird houses. They're huddled up together more than one, you know, to stay warm. But he made a comment to me that uh, he there were quite a few of them that were dead in the bluebird houses. This year? You know, back in 19. Oh, well, now okay. I'm wondering, okay, what about this year? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, you know, I mean. Has anything, I, I know. I, I hadn't heard anything. anything, of course, but I mean, I will eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you know, if there's been any uh, big time bird kill Why out there with that. would not have the same issue, I wonder, because it was still a little warmer than than it was the yeah, last it, time. Yeah, you know what, you it know? didn't last forever. Even last yeah. year, you remember, it was cold for about a week, you know, around zero, or not zero, but below freezing temperatures. Uh, so I think, you know, just maybe one or two nights, these birds can handle that for an extended period of time where all the water freezes up. They have nothing to drink. You know, it's almost too cold to get out of the house. They're all in there huddled together. And some of them might even starve to death. But I think in this case, because it was just almost an overnight event, yeah, uh, I think it's going to be It'll a lot be okay. better, honestly. This time I got birdhouses that had thicker walls on them. I mean, I'm thinking, shouldn't that be a thing, actually? I mean, there's so many birdhouses made. They're, they're cute little birdhouses, and then there's birdhouses that actually work, and, and on down the line. And I, I think maybe we should be more thoughtful on the type of birdhouse we are buying. Yeah, you made a, comp, I mean, a, a comment about a cute birdhouse. I've seen cute birdhouses that look freaking great. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have a hole for the bird to go in. Right. They're out there for decoration purposes. The right okay? size. You can't clean them out. They're not thick enough. You know, all of that. And, Jim, you've made also a, a like, comment. What are you thinking, Jim? About, because Jim's raised fish before also, big mm-hmm. koi fish and everything. But, you know, these, uh, these bird bath heaters. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I mean, you can have a little heater in your bird bath that will keep, you know, the water from freezing. Um you know, especially if you're going to have, like we did last year, you know, that whole week of freezing temperatures where, I mean, most of the water out there will freeze up. I mean, there's just no water, okay? Right. 
So if you're, um, you know, thinking about your birds and you got your bird feeders up and everything, also make sure that there's some some water around somewhere. And you might have to put a heater, uh, which are hardly inexpensive, in that little mm-hmm. bird bath yeah. top, you know. Oh, I remember growing up getting the <clears throat> tin pie pans and putting cornbread in them and water in them and setting them outside and running back in the house and, and watching, watching the squirrel them. just take it all. You know, there was that was one thing though. There were back back then. I guess there were so much woods around us that I didn't have to worry about the squirrels and the birds and competition. So never had the squirrel problem. But now that we're in smaller little micro environments <clears throat> and having our own little sections. Uh, there's more squirrels. Well, and I've said a thousand times, there's more squirrels in Shelby County than there's the whole state of Mississippi. You know, just <laughs> think about it. There is. And I've been lucky so far. You know, where we live before we moved in this house that we're in now, we've been in this house for 20-something years. I've hardly ever seen any squirrels around my house because I do have woods beside me. And now every now and then I'll see one going running across the back fence back there. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, here we go. Uh, where in my old house that I lived in, I mean, there were squirrels everywhere. And every tree you looked in, uh, there were squirrels. So <clears throat> it's not that I mind a squirrel, but I just know what they can do. Kind of like a raccoon and kind of like a possum and all these other yeah, little I, varmints. You know, I've lost count on how many times they've cut into my attic. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. When I moved in, there were two oak trees that were, you know, I'd say eight or ten inch diameter, you know, and now they're, you know, bigger around than me. Yeah. They're huge and just chuck full of squirrels, but <laughs> it seems like our squirrel population is down a little bit. We've, in the last, you know, ten years or so, have really seen an increase More in hawks. hawks. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, but still, there's too many of them, you know. In fact, if, I don't know if you remember, a few years back, I electrified my, my bird feeders, so then when squirrels reached over from the hook to the bird feeder, How genius. it just zapped the bejesus out of them. That was so it's too genius. far for birds to reach. I mean, they can't. They can't so the birds never parts. get shocked. It's only right. those squirrels that think they're outsmarting yeah. Jim. They're yeah. the ones getting zapped, and I think that's genius. Yeah, I have seen more pictures of hawks posted around yeah. on Facebook yeah. and all. Yeah, so I wonder why we're having more hawks. Well, they were letting some of these hawks, they were bringing them in and letting them go here. I mean, mm. you know, to help keep that population down. Of the squirrels. Of the squirrels yeah and the little puppies yeah. little and, doggies well and it helps you know particularly a lot of them released in downtown areas of major cities pigeons to and keep so forth. pigeons mm-hmm. under control mm-hmm. yeah so, um, and, and i mean that's true like because out in nature everything naturally you know predator and all that all that works but then when you get in the city all that natural uh, predatorism mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from animals not people from animals you know can't go on so it almost sounds cruel that we're like oh get more hawks out so they can eat the pigeons and all but we're we have to be responsible and help create the balance also well and you know we've said it a thousand times you know we could grow some really good anything around here for one for all the varmints right yeah and you know we're constantly trying to get rid of varmints and there's so many different ways whether it's baits traps repellents on down the line but it's just something that we have to you know that we live with I mean, how many times have people gone out there and planted this beautiful container, and then the very next day, Mr. Squirrel has come by and ripped everything out of it? If they had planted weeds in the container with some flowers, then they could have a salad and squirrel meat for supper. See, we think about things all wrong. Got a point there. (laughs) You know, how many times have we gone out there and laid brand new beautiful sod, Bermuda or zoysia sod down, and then the next morning you walk out there, everything's flipped over because Mr. Raccoon came through and he was looking for a grub or a worm. 
So we're always fighting these things. And then Jim made the comment a while ago, you know, if you ever see a hole in the side of your house, well, you know something gnawed mm-hmm. that hole to get into your warm attic, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that's surely not what you want. So we're constantly in a battle with these things. I still can't get over how raccoons flip sod, pieces of sod. Oh, yeah. It's just got to be the most adorable thing ever to watch. Just <laughs> roll it back looking for grub worms and earthworms. <laughs> Did you hear just what she like just it. said? It's got to be mo- the most adorable thing it's to ever watch. It's got to be. Well, Look at them thinking and their little cute hands you know, rolling on. You You've into, got a big heart. You move baby. into that nice country house, you know, and you get up the first morning and see the deer feeding back there, and you think, this is just great. <laughs> it is but so then precious. suddenly all of your hostas are eating mm. to the ground, and the cuteness factor goes away really quick. Yes, yeah, it yeah, does. Like, forget about it. <laughs> and and case to point, when I first moved in this house, you know, there again, we have woods right beside us. Uh, before we, it, it was a brand new subdivision. No fences up, nothing, okay? Because everybody had a backyard. My backyard backed up to my neighbor's backyard. Well, and Marshall was a great guy. He lived right behind me when he was back there. Well, you know, every day he'd have this big wheelbarrow full of cracked corn. Yeah. And the deer would come out and just munch in at Jim. And like you said, they looked great. Mm-hmm. You know, and the babies were out there. Well, the next thing you know, all the landscape started to disappear. Yeah. You know, and all these deer hoof marks in your yard, you're like, oh, so the deer did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, because Marshall back there is feeding the deer all this cracked corn. Right. So I hear where you're coming from. Or you could be thinking, oh, wow, that was really cool. That deer scared off whatever was eating my hostess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. But deer, I mean, you know, varmints, y'all, we, we have to live with them. I'm right. telling you. And, it, and some of it, you know. Yes, we a couple of squirrels, we can get by with that. A couple of raccoons, a couple of possums, a couple of deer, we can live with all that. But I'm telling you, it can become a big-time problem, not to mention the varmint that lives underground that we talked about last weekend. Right. Oh, Mr. Mole, right? I like mm. fox. You know, fox don't mess up your landscape or eat people or anything like that. They just eat just your so... cats, which are fine with me. Mm. <laughs> Surely not. Do oh, fox yeah. eat cats? Oh, yeah. See, we I missed lost that. one out at uh, uh, Dan West 64 to a fox. fox. I oh, missed yeah. that whole, but yeah. that's kind of like the law of nature. But I do, but you know, fox are just cute too, hanging oh, out yeah, in your yard. Are. But let me say this before we go to the break, though. I mean, but I think now there are some really good products on the market to help us repel these different then, types of varmints right. than there ever has been. Let me put it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Smith then and Wesson with a laser sight. Okay, I would say we just need that one, <laughs> just that one. That's it. We'll be right back to talk about more ways to get rid of your varmints. We'll be right back. Nine zero one two six zero five nine two six nine zero one two six zero five nine two six. Veda, you had somebody text in, uh, Miss what, Cherry? Cherry, hey, Cherry Jenkins. She said, "Hello, Veda, watching from Florida." She just moved to Florida. Hey, oh, hey, oh, Cherry, Lord. thank you. See, I can actually see your post now. I feel sorry for her living down there oh, in Florida. In Florida, mm-hmm. I know it. It's so different. It feels so. The birds are different. Of course. Everything's so different. I didn't realize. And like uh, the house plants are different because they're shrubs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're outside growing. <laughs> right. Lady, I was putting some seed some seed panels up in Jim the other day on the wall. You know, I call it the, the seed wall. And, you know, we we talked about this story when people go in there and they just kind of start daydreaming when mm-hmm. they're looking at the seeds and they're just envisioning, you know, springtime. Mm-hmm. You know, plucking that beautiful plump eggplant or that great 
you know, that wonderful tomato or that beautiful squash that the boars hadn't gotten into. You know, yeah. I promise you, you can just see it. But you were making a comment, Jim, that if you are uh, going to plant some particular seeds, you might want to go ahead and start getting those going indoors now. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're going <clears> to <throat> grow your own cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, mm-hmm. uh, those type cold crops, you want to start those about four weeks before you want to put them in the ground. And here, we like to get them in third or fourth week in February, so it's time now to go ahead and start your seed uh, and get them going. So, so broccoli, cauliflower, cat well, not cabbage, yeah, well, cabbage, you can, cabbage you could do also. Yeah. Uh, you know, the greens, like Seven Top, they come up so quickly. It's just sow those just, outdoors later on, right? right? Purple Top, get, Seven Top. The, as the, we get the first week of March or so, just so direct, and they'll, they'll be fine. Uh, but, you know, any of those, any of the taller, like, say, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, any of those things that I won't eat, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can go ahead and start those now. <laughs> and and it, do you have a secret? Is Do you have a way that you really like to do it or – I mean, in other words, do you like to get the little, let's say, the uh, the, 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 the little, green, little mini greenhouses? Well, I, I don't really need the top, you know, the, to me. Just a, a 10, 20 flat works well. And like 10 get, inch by 20 inch flat. Yeah, I like to get two of them. There's one that has no holes. You're right. That's the bottom one. And then <laughs> just put a little light layer, just even a few rocks or something in the bottom. Set the other 10, 20 flat on top of it. Got so it. there's just a little space in there. And the one that has holes water. in it sitting right. inside the one. Okay. Right. And then you just fill that with soil and direct sow it and the most important thing is a good strong light over them okay so that when they start to germinate they don't elongate uh you want to keep them they're going to stretch if they're not getting enough light which means if it's a fluorescent light it's got to be 10 inches or so above the plants okay if it's a uh, incandescent that generates heat you're going to have to be up 18 20 inches away you don't want to burn the plant after it germinates exactly so, and then turn them, you know, if you're growing them near a window, you want to turn them every few days um, because the hormones, the reason plants grow towards the light is, is a self-defense mechanism, not so much as they're looking for the light. It's not so much that they're growing to that light source. They're actually source, growing away from the light. Which kind of freaks me out. Freak, but, right, but the hormones <coughs> that generate that growth don't like sunlight and they move around to the backside of the plant. Which makes the backside bend. cells elongate and it turn bends. the plant it, that's towards amazing. the light. It's amazing. So it gets uh, it gets the benefit now of full sun on the leaves, and the leaves are there as much to protect the trunk from from the direct sun. So it's mother nature. By turning it occasionally, you keep that from happening. Yeah, okay. that's like like in well, the same with the house plants. It's because like a plant that grows in the shade, the cells get uh, longer. And the plant that's getting the sun, the cells get smaller. So that's what makes it turn. Makes it bend. I know. It's just so amazing. Isn't it cool? Huh? It's just amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. how sunflowers will just... That's, turn and follow that the sun. right there is like totally uh-huh. crazy to me. You could almost mm-hmm. see sunflowers because doing it when they planted those huge fields out there. Remember, they used to plant them out there on Walnut Grove mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, the Baptist all the way yeah. out to Germantown Road. You'd see a lot of sunflowers out there. And then things would turn. I mean, in the morning going into work, uh-huh. they'd be turned one way, the next going and home. And then they would get to a certain point where they're mature, and they stopped doing that. Yeah, that was so confusing to me the first year. I didn't uh-huh. know anything like that <laughs> happened. And then I thought, okay, I know 
I know those sunflowers were not well, pointed that, that way when I <laughs> right. I did not know that could be a thing. I mean, I can understand the leaves grow or the cells growing longer on the shade side and shorter on the sun side. I can understand all that, but it's too hard to understand how a sunflower faces the sun, follows the sun. <laughs> but but getting back also to germinating seed. Uh, so you got your flat. You can also get the little inserts that go in there. Put your now what the soil I think is a little important also. You know you don't want a really heavy soil. I've seen yeah. people. But try to grow them in topsoil and everything else. I'm not saying you can't, but you want to get a good, lightweight, what I call soilless soil, even a seed-starting soil, mm-hmm. okay? So you want to use a good, lightweight, very well-drained soil. Right. Well, you know, I was actually did looked up some stuff about the, the seed-starting soil. I've never thought much about it because I've never really started seeds unless I just threw them out. I don't do a lot of it, but a lot of people do. Right, yeah, Yeah. unless I just threw them out in the yard, you know, in the topsoil that or the soil compost that I made. I would put it out in the garden and then plant the seeds and they would come up. Right. And then I'm like, okay, so now I need a different soil to start seeds inside and I know inside and outside are a total different thing. Right. So what was the difference between the Doctor's Earth seed starter mix and the Doctor's Earth pot of gold Mm -hmm. and everything was exactly the same except the one different was it had fur bark Mm -hmm. in it and which be great for drainage you know no difference in how it's ground no because typically seed starter mixes are very fine well i I was reading but i didn't i didn't see the differences so it didn't two reasons is the finer it is that keeps the seed up on the surface Mm-hmm. near the top if it's yeah. too coarse your seed goes down into the bottom right okay so, so that'll be something too. yeah i want to look if at you that remember uh, what yeah. was ready earth mm-hmm. used to have a seed starter mm-hmm. that was almost like powder mm-hmm. it was so fine yeah. Uh, yeah but it was great and and if they're soilless mixes as ken is talking about mm-hmm. you don't run the risk as much of things like damping off that's, that's right yeah, I've heard and that. so that's why you know but then i had wondered peat has a natural fungicide in it which helps prevent that yeah, yeah. and they did have both of them did have some peat in it and then i was like okay so if we're using all these because they also had all the cfe cfe's <laughs> colony forming um microorganisms and all that so they both have all all that in it just lines and lines of of what it is good fungus good bacteria so if all that good stuff's in there then you wouldn't have to worry about the bad fungus taking over you know, so... Well, uh, you know, my biggest thing is... And, and why you're would right. you need soilless? Or no, what was the word again? Sterile like a, soil? Or soilless soil. But but I, I, it is important, though, to use a lightweight soil. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to use a heavy soil when you're trying to germinate these seeds indoors. Of course, we want everything possible going for us to make the soils germinate. Yeah. I mean, the seeds germinate. Now, yeah. and, 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 and don't get me wrong. There are seed-starting soils out there. I mean, right. I, and that's yeah. what I would recommend. But if you... I mean, if, if you had a, a bad of potting soil at home as long as it's not a heavy right. soil Gummy, it's a good yeah. lightweight high quality just don't let them see the label <laughs> exactly know, potting right. soil you're fine now the seed starting <laughs> soils are formulated you know for germinating seed and that's what again that's what i would recommend but don't think that's the only seed uh, soil that you can use or the only mm-hmm. soil you can use to germinate a seed so once you get your flats all set up maybe even some inserts in there you put your soil in you put your seed in there and then do y'all come back and lightly cover those seeds with some more of that soil just to barely I cover them? I never do. I never or do. Or do y'all just, you know, go in there and wet it down, 
knowing that that seed's going to just embed mm-hmm. in the top part of that soil. I mean, I've seen people do it both ways. But I just want to caution, you made a comment while ago, Jim, about seeds sinking down too far in the soil. Mm-hmm. Caution you about, yes, you can go out there and you can put a little bit of soil on top of the seed that you just put in those inserts. But don't put too much soil on top of these seeds. You yeah. know, they just yeah, need to be lightly, we, lightly yeah. covered. Just barely. And yeah, then, because, and you're saying fall, like if the the soil is real coarse. The seed's going to fall just, down every time you water it. Through the, yeah, it's not they're sinking, they're falling. And that's the difference <laughs> between a seed starting soil and maybe yeah, a coarser maybe type soil. The blend. So now I'm going to have to check that out and see what the. Uh, and I know we only got another minute before we go to the break, and I know the phone's ringing, but also. Well, do you, what else you know? Well, but I want to uh, just, just <laughs> so get your, like your flat, like Jim was talking about, get your inserts in there, get your right type of, of soil that you want to use to germinate these seeds in, you want to keep them moist and you want to keep them warm. The only thing those two those seeds need to germinate are those two things. You don't and have use to, a spritz bottle. You can't use a watering can. Well, no, you, that's you, tough to do. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it but you want to yeah. keep it moist. You don't have to keep them wet, but you do want to keep it moist. And especially after they germinate, you cannot let them dry out. And then, like Jim said, maybe put a good light on them to keep them from stretching. A month later, you're ready to put these things outside. Right. Oh, and then is. next year you realize I'm not doing this again. I'm gonna go buy plants at the garden center. Right. Here's <laughs> we'll so right. But I'm gonna try seeds just because people do. We'll be right back. Oh. Good morning, gardeners. How about that? She's dancing in her chair again. You can't that, stop her. That's spring fever music. Give us a call. Mark, hang on two seconds. 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page. You can see Veda right there. Mm-hmm. Shoot us a text. Uh, any question you, you want. You can see you and Jim also, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you've got a wide-angle TV, you can see me from the side. <laughs> funny y'all are just funny that's all i can say i'm glad i get to get up every morning with y'all not well if saturday let's morning let's clarify time, that i was okay. like wait a minute can we start back um, i just love y'all and i love being able to join you on saturday morning i'm not into that freebie stuff at now. the Why? front door and walk into the building <laughs> all right how about i even got one better let's go to mark good morning mark you're in the garden uh yeah i was uh commenting about the uh, different products you might use to start seeds. I don't know how available it is retail, but mm-hmm. Jiffy Plugs is <laughs> one yeah. of the most foolproof yeah. seedling methods you can use, and it's got several advantages. The biggest being that once your uh, seed comes up, you can move the whole plug. You don't, mm-hmm. You're you not moving a bare root uh, seedling enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we use them, you know, by the hundreds and thousands in yeah. spring to start seeds, and they're pre-plugged. I mean, they're in trays, pre-drilled, where you just drop the seed in. It makes those tiny seeds especially easy. Yeah, and Mark's but talking. The, Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. But the transferring is the biggest deal, you know. Yeah. yeah. And move that plant sometimes in a week or 10 days after it roots, you know, with no problem. And, and you're right. And move it right along. And Mark, you know, out there with Dabney Nursery, they grow a ton of stuff on their own. But the little, we call them uh, Jiffy Pellets or Jiffy 7s. A little, little right. different, but, well, but the But the Jiffy 7s is, is one of those little flat pellets, Mark, and I know you've probably seen them before. You add water to it. 
and these things swell up, mm-hmm. and they make the perfect little cocoon that's got this little fiber netting around it for the seed to be pushed into and the roots to grow out of. And like Mark is saying, the beauty of it is when they get old enough to move, you just pluck them right out and go move them. So the pellet and all, yeah. yeah. Is, is Jiffy Mix still available? It probably is, Jim. But we've got Black Gold. You yeah, know, that's what we're that, selling that, now. Mm-hmm. You know, when Mark and I got in this business years ago, Jiffy Mix was kind of a go-to because it was so fine. Yeah, uh, it was basically ground up sphagnum and ground up vermiculite, I think. And but it was a really good seeds sterile seed starting mix now hey mark the one that y'all use is it the flat pellet or is it a um just a we plug use two different we do two different ones there in trays and one of them is 105 one of them is 72 for little annuals right. and all we right. grow about a hundred thousand annuals right. ourselves we use that 105 and then for woody plants we use the 72 mm-hmm. and now and do you do anything different mark i mean of course you want to keep them warm you want to keep them moist i mean that's all we need for seed germination and then what about well, the yeah, lighting we got, well you know we're in i have a we have a special propagation house yeah uh you know bottom heat tables yeah. mist yeah uh you know it's climate controlled i mean we <laughs> got a lot of advantages <laughs> gotcha. yeah. but y'all do it on a large scale also Oh, absolutely. Right. Year-round. I mean, we're growing everything, you know, annuals to trees, you know. There you go, buddy. Let me ask you this. How'd you fare after this freeze out there in the nursery? Well, you know, uh, certain broadleaf, you know, took a beating. I mean, the stuff that's in the house, but, you know, we've got 100 acres or so in the field. Right. There's some stuff that, you know... It's hard to know yet. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a, cryptomeria is really discolored. I doubt if they were harmed, but uh, yeah. you know, I've seen some hollies that have taken a beating, and some that didn't. Foster and Nellies didn't. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, You're right. To miss a lick, right? But yet, uh, Oaklands and mm-hmm. uh, Marynells mm-hmm. and all just look ruined. You know, mm-hmm. wow. Acubas look ruined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, they do. I'm I'm worried about raffia lepus and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Laura Petalum. We were talking about those yeah. this morning, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, I, keep I, up I, the keep up the great work that you do out there. Um, all of y'all do a great good to hear, job out good there. Good to hear your Take voice, Mark. Program. Thank you, good Mark. To hear from you, Jim. Glad you're doing good. Thanks, sir. Thank uh, you, buddy. Thanks, thanks Mark. Mark, for the call. Uh-huh. Mark so, with Dabney. No, nobody yeah. I think in this town knows more about conifers than Mark. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he I was mean, making the yeah. comment, Jim, and you mentioned Jiffy a while ago. You can still buy, you know, a lot of the uh, the little mini greenhouses, the flats, the inserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the mini greenhouse is a flat, like Jim was talking about. Yeah. Jim made it's got the little inserts in it, the little six packs, whatever. But it's got the little clear dome that goes on the top of it. And those are good for homeowners because it's it's yeah. a large amount of soil. You can grow your plant in that for four to six weeks, yeah. like mm-hmm. tomato plants, and then plant that directly into the garden. Whereas things like Mark's growing out there, they're growing things to put into cell packs, right? Uh, into or twelve oh fours or something mm-hmm. like that, where they five inch pots. Whatever. They just want to take that one rooted plant and put it directly in there right use as little soil as possible to keep your cost down uh and is there it's it's a great method to do now you know if you look at some of these greenhouses like up in in uh michigan where they do all this mechanically it's it's absolutely amazing to see these yeah. machines plant this you know it with is. very little human contact mm-hmm. uh, you know 50 acre glass green but they're planting so much <laughs> yes. stuff out there but also i've seen where you can also buy these um uh, these little uh mini greenhouses there again 
and all it is, it's just a 10 by 20, like you said, or 18 by 20 uh, plastic flat tray. plastic yeah. tray. But some of them have the, the inserts already in it, and you'll find the Jiffy pellets already in there, mm-hmm. okay? And then I was looking at one yesterday, uh, Vade and Jim, that instead of made out of plastic, the inserts, they're made out of like cardboard, Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. so you so can take that whole thing and just plant it mm-hmm. in the ground. So there's so many different ways, but there's some easy, I should say, efficient ways to germinate seed indoors. Right. Yeah, and then the thing about germinating seed too, like growers, and and they're using the the uh, sphagnum moss or the peat moss. I mean. They don't let it get dry either. Never. It's always going to, yeah, never. Yeah. Right. James says <laughs> never. You just can't let it get dry. No, and we tell so. people all the time once a seed gets watered, that seed will swell. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you ever let that seed dry out before it germinates, you've killed the embryo in that seed. And that's the, the same with the soil. If that soil dries out, well, and that's it's what almost I mean. impossible to rehydrate it mm-hmm. as well using those type of um, peat pellets and all. So just don't, just always keep it moist. Yeah. <laughs> and warm. Yeah, and I'm going to try the, um, like, rooting. Like, y'all were talking about the trays, the 12 by 18 trays. Or 10 or by 20. 10 by, or, yeah, right. and then fill it all with, like, a rooting soil or a seed-starting mix. And right. then I'm going to take, like, um, all the Rex begonias, mm-hmm. the real pretty ones. And you can cut them off and just leave a little bit of the stem. I mean, leave the, the leaf and then a little bit of stem. A cutting off of the Rex begonia. Yeah. So and instead then, of doing seed, you're going to do some cuttings. Cuttings, and then just put them all in the soil, not pushing the leaf on the soil, but pushing the stem in. And then d- the one, they have the white tray or the clear tray that can be set over the top of the it. Dome. That's, yeah, the that's dome. That's what makes it the greenhouse. Yeah, the yeah. greenhouse. And then it's like, I've been taught this. It takes like a week, 10 days or so to start rooting. Then you just uh, pull off the greenhouse part and let it start doing on its own. And some things, you know, you can take cuttings off of all day long. Yeah. The easiest things in the world to to, to root from a and cutting. It seems like cuttings would be harder than germinating seed, but it's, to me, beginning to actually be a little easier than I thought. Well, a lot of the soft tissue plants is pretty darn easy. But also there's a product on there out there called a rooting gel or rooting powder mm-hmm. that when you're trying to take a cutting off whatever, house plant or whatever, and you want to uh, create roots off of that cutting, uh, those those hormonal gels or powders really work well. Yeah, they do help. They do help. Yeah, some guy came in and he had, his aunt had sent him some really um, hard to germinate or hard to grow pepper seeds. I wish I could remember the name, but this from Mexico. And so he's got he's got all the stuff ready to go. So we're waiting to see if it actually works. So those are some fun projects to be doing right now since we're, well, shoot, we're about to get, be able to go outside this week and do all kinds of things. But but that's not springtime yet. I know. Well, looking outside right now, it kind of seems like spring is, and, and talk, <laughs> but it's only, what are we in the second week of January Yeah, now? We're, we're not done. <laughs> and, and talking about taking cuttings, I know a gentleman that loves coleus. I mean, he mm, plants, oh, he, yeah. and coleus has come a long way, guys, oh, as really? far as the different mm. colors and textures that are out there. There's so many on the market now. He takes a lot of cuttings off of a mother plant or mother mm-hmm. plants that he's had in the greenhouse. He'll take a lot of cuttings off of that, put it in the flats like you're talking about, Veda. And, Jim, a lot of times they'll come out with a a sport, which oh, is yeah. a new coleus, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, from the parent plant. It's not the same as the cutting he put in there. 
and I think he's got a few named after him. But I've seen some of his containers, of course, in the spring and in, in the summertime, where, of course, he's got a lot of coleus in these containers because that's one of his favorite plants. And they're beautiful, but they're so easy to take a cutting off of and get new plants. Uh, some plants are easier than others, but this is one that's really easy yeah. to, to I use. can remember not long after um, Carol and I got married, I decided to, to grow some African violets from cutting. Yes. And so I had like 25 flats in the dining room and kitchen. And <laughs> wow, 25. <laughs> they were all over the place, and we lived in a little 1,100 square foot house. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Most of was, it was carpeted in African violets. Well, we've done that again. Well, when we come back, we'll find out how many you got from that. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Midtown Gardens. <laughs> are we in Midtown? Yet? I love her. I love her to death. We're in East Memphis. Yeah, well, we welcome. are. Welcome, Midtown Gardeners, East Memphis Gardeners, Germantown, everybody gardeners. Florida Gardeners. Yeah, Florida Gardeners, California Gardeners, mm-hmm. Mississippi Gardeners. Yeah. We get calls from all over the place, text and all that. So join our gardening community on. The Mid-South Garden Facebook Live page, or actually on the uh, page that Jim's administrator of, Mid-South Gardening, USDA Zone. Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And tell your friends, okay? That's a great, I tell you, every time I get on Facebook, which is not a ton, but every time Mm -hmm. I do, uh, I'm seeing uh, questions and pictures uh, on that uh, particular uh, Facebook page, Jim. And I mean... You know, it's great. We have a lot of good files, but also, you know, one of the cool things about the Facebook group is the search. Uh, you want to know something um, uh, about, you know, coffee grounds. Yeah. If you put that in there, you get the truth about coffee grounds, the truth about eggshells. Um, in fact, there was a people were asking about coffee grounds the other day. Yeah, and, I saw that. Uh, and this week, there's been a good bit of chat about uh, fireplace ashes. What you, what can you use them on? You know, mm-hmm. and you get all you get a lot of people just say, "Oh, just sprinkle them all over your garden." Well, you know, that may not be a good idea. Um, just put them anywhere, right? Yeah, there's let's just there's have a, a maximum amount you want to do, and also, you know, most important thing is if your pH is right where it needs to be for mm-hmm. for your vegetable garden at six point five, you don't want to put ashes on there because mm-hmm. it's going to raise the pH. It's going to raise. Got a lot of calcium in it. It's going to interfere with phosphorus, so you do not want to put ashes on a garden that's all right already yeah Yeah. but you but it is important to check your garden especially your vegetable garden plot every year as far as ph goes because you do want that ph between what six two and six eight six five being just ideal uh and and like people like for vegetable garden for vegetable garden right but people do like to use or you know things instead of throwing things away like ashes for Mm -hmm. example you know they want to use them where they can if they can but you're saying, Jim, hang on, and Veda, you've said this before, too. Don't go out there just willy-nilly and just put this stuff any around everything. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah's, for example, they don't want ashes around it. Yeah, no, I just no. want to put everything in a compost pile, whether, I mean, that's just what I want to do because of that simple thing. I don't want to mess up something by just adding a bunch of one thing. Yeah, but like, you know, we, we see so much about people wanting to put eggshells under tomato plants, and mm-hmm. it does absolutely zero good. You know, you put all you want to down but, there. And but we've always heard, Jim, that it it's great. Well, I know. You know. Yeah. But Well, it takes everything. What you've been listening to is not 
doesn't know the science behind it and what's really happening. Yeah. You know, just because you think it sounds like a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Well, and pH is important. I mean, it's important in our lawns. It's important in our vegetable gardens, for sure. And those, to me, those are the main two places that I like to check. <laughs> the lawn. Yeah, the lawn and the, and, and the vegetable garden. Now, of course, it's important in the beds and everything also. But typically around here, you know, you want a pH uh, of around 6.5. Uh, and naturally, slowly, our pH tends to go down year after year. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, of course. Um, but the beauty, you know, all we have to do typically is put lime down to raise the pH. And then over the years, you know, they've come out with what they call the fast lime, which is uh, a, a granulated product, just like regular pelletized lime, but it breaks down and alters the pH much faster. It can do it in a matter of weeks other than a matter of months. Yeah, yeah, so, true. You know, and just flipping back real quick to, I was talking about rooting and seed starting and all that. One thing that I'm really enjoying learning how to do are the um, succulents, because a lot of times indoors they'll grow real long they because will. they're not in their, their mm-hmm. right environment, which actually sometimes they grow really long and curvy and look quite bonsai looking or artistic. But... <laughs> Um, what I did on a lot of them that were growing too long is I just took the really sharp, sharp pair of snips and snipped the tips off of all of them. Mm-hmm. You didn't just, go in down two or three inches. You no, just cut just the, the tips, tips off. off okay. Like the, the most part of, because the tip is where it still looks like the regular type of sedum. So I took the, t- cut the tips off and just, I had, I used the black gold soil and set the sedum tips on the top of the soil. So and you're just, there again, cutting, taking cuttings off of that, those sedums. Yeah. Yeah. And just set them and laid them on the soil, kind of pushed it in a little bit. And then yeah. I've been using a spray bottle and yeah. misting to keep the soil wet. And, um, it's just like one of the most easiest things to do. And now I've got all these cute little sedum. But now I'm worried I'm going to overwater them. Well, you're right. I mean, you want <laughs> to keep these things like, moist but not wet. And and so, and even like Hoyas that, that are so, uh, so pretty and they don't need a lot of water either. I overwatered it. Overwatered it because I had my Hoyas sitting with my other house plants that need, of oh, course, yeah. more water. And you kind of just lose track. And I'm like, oh, well, you could use a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can the next day, I mean, just a tiny bit of water to every week <laughs> was way too much. I mean, they needed like a tiny bit of water every month. Well, that's the biggest thing is, you know, moisture. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it sounds so easy, but it can be very complicated. But you're talking about the sedums. It reminds me of seeing like a four-inch or five-inch pot of, say, hens and chicks. Yeah. You know, how they just just grow like crazy mm-hmm. in those little containers. Yeah, they do. You know, they do. Especially once you get them going and mm-hmm. you don't keep them too wet, Veda. Right, right. <laughs> I'm even trying some in the hens and chicks. I did a cactus garden to for outside mainly, but now you br- I'm bringing it in so it didn't all freeze and trying to keep it as much light as possible. <clears throat> but the hens and chicks are still stretching. They're Which is a sedum, of course. Yeah. All right, switching gears. When I gotta say this, what, y'all. What's that? Oh, hens and chicks. Yeah, chicks not a not, no, see them. Well, you meant succulent. It's a succulent. Yeah, right, my that's what you yeah. meant to Here we say. go. You there you go. Yeah. Jim's over there groaning at me. Like, <laughs> I know you know this, Kim. You meant Kim. It is a succulent. Ken. Ken. <laughs> see, I'm calling you wrong uh, name too. Uh, I gotta tell y'all about what happened. This you have uh, to. Yeah, I mean, of course, at at the garden center, people do bring in their problems. They bring in samples. <laughs> I mean, problems. they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in this case, she, this young lady, had a uh, container that had a house plant in it. Okay, 
And she brought it up there to the garden center and said, can you please tell me what is wrong with this thing? And we've talked about this before. It's one of those things where, A, you know, yes, it was either staying too wet or too dry. In this case, it was actually staying way too dry, Mm -hmm. which normally that's not the case because everybody kills their plants by keeping them too wet. Well, we talked about the water, okay? But also, guys, this thing had about a an eighth of an inch of dust on it on every leaf and i'm like well also when you get this thing home either get a rag with a uh, you know some warm water and let's get all this dust off of these leaves or put this thing in the sink or the shower we, we got to get this thing cleaned up okay <laughs> because i mean plants do collect a lot of dust and a lot of times we'll put a plant on a little plant stand in a corner, and it stays there forever. Other than walking over there and putting a little water in yeah. it, that's it, right? So trust me, guys. I mean, dust will collect on these on the foliage, and it's it's not healthy to have that much dust on the foliage of a plant. Well, also, every leaf. It also blocks light, even though oh, I mean that's man. one of the last things I'd ever really thought about it. How dust could there's block no way light, light could have got to the leaves I of this plant. Do, I can understand how it can block the pores and make it hard to breathe and make it hard to do all its thing. But I guess dust could I mean because you know light is very very important indoors because we don't have as much as outside so. Dust blocking the light it could definitely. I mean, to me, Jim, that would be an issue. Well, why would? I mean, other than that, and I agree with you. I mean, yeah. it has to be. A, and yes, I don't mind a little dust on the foliage of my house plant. <laughs> I mean, we all have a little dust on it. But I promise y'all, y'all, this thing was like when I got my thumb and rubbed it, mm-hmm. it went from brown to a green leaf. I'm serious. That's how much dust was on these things. So. Make your rounds. Look at your house plants. If you've got a collection of dust like that on the foliage of your plants, we're to throw get them, them away up. and buy new ones. Uh-huh. There, that's easy. <laughs> no, but it's Jim, so some simple. of these things have been <laughs> yeah, in the family right. for so long. No, compost them. Um, <laughs> that makes you feel better. Yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to our third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yes, she is. Uh, down Central Avenue? Yes, yeah, Central Avenue. In uh, Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center. I'm Kenneth, on the one on, on Poplar. Poplar Avenue. Yeah. And Jim is around. How long y'all been doing this program? <laughs> we never remember. Not as long as you, you and Jim. No, no, I mean, you, you two have been doing this for 20-something yeah. years. Yeah. You know, and you still don't know where you work? I know. <laughs> you can't remember the name of a Facebook group? <laughs> I, I said, don't know why. I don't see a doctor. Your I memories said, are going. I said, Dan West Garden Center, and Veda said the one on Popper, and I shook my head, yes, ma'am. And I'm Jim Crowder. I'm a recliner liner, and I am a retired nurseryman, you know, and face, yeah. <laughs> and I am the the administrator of our Facebook group. Oh, you know what's really oh, fun to look through liner. now is the Mid South Garden Calendar. I still have a few left. If y'all haven't gotten, I mean, I know oh, there's got to be yeah, a few the, out uh, Master there. Master Gardener Calendar. Oh yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah the what was. It? Gardening, gardening of the Mid South, Mister Gardener calendar. And the reason we love the Mid South, or, or the Memphis area Master Gardener calendar, That's it. Yeah. is um, a first of all, it is a calendar. Secondly, 
<laughs> you can use it Duh. as a you can use it as a calendar. Can, yeah. But it, it's got so much great information in there, and it's uh, all local stuff. It local is pictures from the members. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's great. It's, to me, it's kind of like the little mini version of the Mid South Garden mm-hmm. Guide. Yeah, you know, it is. It, it really is. is. Many yeah. many, but it's full of information. Like one. Um, <laughs> customer was had picked it up on the counter and uh, this one is of course has a cellophane still on it and also you don't mess it up that's right and uh she said well is this more than pictures you know i'm looking for something that has you know information well, so i took you, it off the wall you got the and, right one right and, and started, started <coughs> showing her some of the stuff and she was amazed at all the all the useful information there is so yeah y'all check that out that'll help look at uh, master gardeners websites you know we have the victory garden y'all can look up on facebook um the the garden plot what is the one on wkno that our extension guys the do? family plot the, the family, family plot. plot yeah there's a lot of things for locally that y'all can uh, listen to and learn about because when we have people that move to the area and they say they're new to the area to garden and then you just ask them a few questions about their previous garden experience and then you're like okay you're going to need to listen to our show (laughs) you're going to need to listen to this show it's because it is completely different and going to the um you know the facebook page you know jim's um that jim is the administrator of uh it's amazing how many people Jim, y'all have following that thing now. I mean, it started at one, and now it's in the thousands, <laughs> yeah. you know. 8,200. 8, something, like yeah. But it's, I mean, but I'm telling you, the people, you know, you post a question or a picture and a question, and you get so many different people of uh, the comments that will give you an answer. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's from people that have, that know, yeah. uh, that have done it before, right. have, that have gone through the mistakes before, yeah. have seen it before. Like, like for instance, this, how many times did I read and hear about, you know, when you're growing orchids, that after they finish blooming you cut, on the phalaenopsis, you cut that long stem off. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just, well, you're right. Mine is... Has you mean the, so blooming, the blooming stem? Yeah, the stem that comes up and after the blooms fall off and everything, mm-hmm. you just cut that stem off. I mean, I heard that and heard that forever. Me too. But I didn't do it because I then I don't know why. You know, I read something not to do it. And and what do you think, Jim? I know you know. Yeah, you know, I usually leave two nodes. They're blooming. Yeah, just yeah. cut back to and just leave two of the little nodes on there. And you, there's normally a dormant bud there that will come out and rebloom. Yeah. It took yeah. it took a little bit of time, you know, because at first I'm looking at, and actually I did cut the tip of it off to a node because the tip sure. was turning brown. Yeah, that not a problem. Yeah, but it's reblooming, and um, so many people <sighs> just throw the orchid away when it's done. But if that stem is still there, the blooms have fallen off. Just uh, keep watering it and fertilizing it and giving it the light, dusting the foliage, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to bloom again. But will it do it again, Jim? What do you mean will again? Just, After the second one, just go I ahead and cut, cut it, it back to the Okay. Yeah. And see, that yeah. you, I never... So somebody says, yeah, cut it off, but they forgot to tell me after the second bloom, cut yeah. it off. No, but, it, it's not going to kill the plant if you cut yeah, that blooming right. stalk off, but you're potentially cutting off a, uh, some blooming tissue that you would get mm-hmm. sooner than later. And, you know, we don't fertilize our African violets and our orchids enough. Yeah. I mean, they take I'm yeah. almost every two weeks. With orchids, I, I usually keep fertilizer in the water all right. the time. Yeah. When water once a week. Do you? And, yeah. But it's always have fertilizer in it because, well, one, if it's grown on a coarse mix like fir bark or charcoal or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, the water's that, just passing right through most it. Most right? of it's going through, yeah. Yeah. So. 
And this one was kind of half-half done because, I, I mean, half-half taken care of. I still left it in the plastic container that, that it came in. But, of course, the, the roots and everything are growing out of the container and growing over the pot and all. But I did that, and I it took a much longer time to bloom because I did fertilize it, right. but not often enough. I tell you what, when they start blooming, though, it's amazing how long an orchid can bloom. I mean, my, yeah, my, my wife too. had one last year. That thing bloomed for five months. Right. I, I mean, it just blew me away it how does. long that and thing bloomed. And then the other thing, I'm sorry, is that the foliage is actually very pretty. Oh, no doubt. You know, and... And it looks good mixed with other plants. I mean, I'm looking forward to this year for my shade gardens because of the type of houseplants I'm going to start in integrating into with the other annual shade plants. Uh, and I know, Jamie, you got to hang on for just a second. We had a young lady text in, Miss Shirley Smith, and she said, my amaryllis are done blooming. Uh, when do I put it in the ground? And, you know, typically we'll buy the amaryllis bulb before Christmas, right? Force that thing to bloom inside. And she's at that point now, so now what do I do? Uh, the best thing, surely, you can do at this point is you can surely cut off that blooming stalk, you know, and just cut it back down to the uh, the top of the bulb. But you still want to leave that bulb inside the house right now and just treat it like you would any other house plant. Keep it warm. Uh, keep it uh, a little moisture in there to keep it from drying out. And then sometime around, oh, I don't know, mid-April, you can take it outside and put it in a uh, in a bed, or you can put it in a container. A lot of people put them in a bed and just leave them in there, mm-hmm. you know, leave them in the bed. Just they'll come back every year and they'll bloom outside. But I would plant it either in a container or in the bed. Now, if you want to leave it out there, fine. Just leave it out there. Let it fine. come. Yeah, <laughs> let, let it come back every year. But if you want to take that same bulb and have it bloom indoors again, typically you'll dig that bulb up say early August, okay? Mm-hmm. And you'll knock all the the, uh, the dirt off of the roots. You'll lay the bulb and the foliage down somewhere where it's not going to get wet and let that foliage naturally die back. And then you cut it off at the top of the bulb. And the reason is there, it's going to pull sugars and water out of that foliage back into the bulb. So don't cut the green off That's until right. it's dry. You let it naturally just die back. And then you take that bulb and you ideally, there again, keep it in a cool, dry place, repot it early November, mm-hmm. and restart it. But I'm not going to go through all of that. Yeah. I'm just going to buy a new amaryllis bulb every year. And like Shirley's talking about, just take mine in mid-April, take it outside and plant it in a bed, and just leave it out there. Yeah. You know? Right. How about the ones, which uh, amaryllis did I dig up that, I guess they were the old, old amaryllis that established real well, and... When I was going to dig them up, it was like a hundred bowls oh, yeah. just stacked on each other. Incredible. And you got that from starting from one bulb. Well, but also one thing that I've noticed is, you know, they're on the market. There are these things called garden amaryllis, okay, that mm-hmm. people buy and plant out there outdoors in their beds. Well, the only really difference between a garden amaryllis and a amaryllis mm-hmm. is the size of the bulb. You know, the garden yeah. amaryllis are usually smaller. Mm-hmm. And there's some species difference, too. Yeah, but, but, but typically, Jim, you know, the ones that we forage indoors are, are usually a little larger, typically mm-hmm. a larger bulb. But you treat you can treat them exactly the same. Though. Okay, then, uh, well, we got to go to a break real quick. But I wanted to talk about, like, when we get the, from the florist shop the azaleas and the hydrangeas mm-hmm. and then plant them in the landscape. We'll be right back, and we'll answer those questions for you.
Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're going to go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. Look, we uh, thank y'all for mentioning the calendars, and I'm like you. I don't hardly leave the house without it. <laughs> What's in your wallet? That sounds like a slogan to me. That's good. <laughs> but, Jamie, you're right. I mean, uh, Veda's got some at uh, Palladio's, and we've got some at, at Dam West, uh, some left over. And they're great. Every year they're great. Uh, like I said, they're, they're wonderful calendars. They have beautiful pictures in there that are taken by local gardeners. Uh, just the pictures and the calendar alone are worth the price of admission, right? But then they have all that wonderful information in there. So, like Jamie said, don't leave home without it. We're looking forward to being with you uh, two weeks, I guess it is, uh, yep. with the new president, Jan Dickey. Yep. And uh, so, anyway, we're, I, uh, and thanks for mentioning the, the, uh, the calendar. Uh, we, uh, we had our first meeting last week, and Dr. Cooper's got everybody charged up, and we're ready to go. So we wanted to look at that a tree to cut down or something. And Dr. Cooper's our extension agent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so so y'all just clarifying so y'all didn't think it was like a surgical doctor. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Cooper's our extension agent. Yeah, Doctor Cooper. So and he's um he's big with uh you know the Memphis area master gardeners, which he of course should be, and uh, great support from that young <laughs> yeah, man. He's kind of right. like in charge. Yeah. I know it. I know that. <laughs> but but mid February, you said Jamie, we've got uh, Jan uh, Jan Dickey coming by. She's gonna be. She is the new president of the Memphis area master gardeners. Correct. Right. And then in late February, we've got a special person coming in. <laughs> As you know, Jamie, because Jamie started this, the tomato contest, where it's a big deal to win one entry. This guy won multiple entries of the Great Tomato Contest last year, and we're going to get him in here and pick his brain on what his secrets are as far as growing these great tomatoes. So, And, Jamie, you said we can get him in, him in here in late February, correct? Right, right. Uh, Ted Addison, and uh, he's a really nice guy. And I don't know if he'll tell us what he what he's doing, but <laughs> anyway, it, uh, you know, you can cook my you can give, cook my recipe, but you may not cook, cook my chili. <laughs> <laughs> he he may tell us something. So we uh, we we uh, we're just not another pretty face here. And Dr. Cooper was telling us we had better than twenty eight thousand six hundred fifty four hours of volunteer work. Uh, last year for the uh, for the community. So anyway, we're just not another pretty face here. We're we're out working. <laughs> well, Jamie, we love you to death. Tell your sweet wife Jan that we said hello. Uh, keep doing the great work that y'all do, of course, and uh, we'll try to support y'all every chance we get. Thank y'all. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. He said we're not just another pretty face. They're out there getting the work done, I'm telling you. On the calendar, it talks about, it tells about when a lot of the horticultural societies meet. Mm -hmm. And um, then also checking out the garden Facebook pages. There's so many talks going on, like the Bartlett Library has some. Garden centers will be doing talks. Jim just had one last week at Cardiville, yeah. Jim's going to be at Flatio this Saturday, April 4th, May May 4th. Shoot. March March 4th. Going to talk about water gardening. Water garden. I'll be be there. I work there. February 4th, talking about watering houseplants. I'll be talking. It's uh, forgotten the date now in June at Dixon. We're going to be talking about some new perennials and some... uh, Hold on. New new and upcoming perennials yeah for um that you'll see you know some of them probably not 
till next year just because they're right. so new. There's right. just not any out there. But, uh, but you know, it, it, it'll be fun. And we always save, a, you know, 30, 20, 30 minutes or so for Stump the Expert. To yeah, see. that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Ask the questions, you know. Okay, well, so. Before we went to the break, uh, you were talking about how a lot of times, uh, other than buying blooming amaryllis and yeah. African violets and houseplants, a lot of times we'll also buy these blooming hydrangeas and these blooming azaleas from the florist, a grocery store or, or florist, right? Mm-hmm. So then we take them home and we love them, we enjoy them. But then, what do we do after they're done blooming? You know, well, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna Most do. Most people take throw them outside. away. I know, <laughs> but I'm gonna take mine outside and plant them. Now, will they all come back through our winters, depending on the variety of the azalea or the hydrangea? Probably, you know. Will they bloom? Probably, Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me why, Jim. Well, because most of the forest azaleas you see are Belgian indicas, and they're hardy about as far north as maybe Orlando. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're not going to come back. Keep them as a house plant. Uh, they have to have some chilling to set flowers, but it's not like hey, our it's kind. It's not of like zero degrees, right? So uh, you know, enjoy them, and then. Chunk of them. All right. Really. Then what about the hydrangeas? Most of the hydrangeas are hardy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in fact, one of the most popular ones is Delft Blue, which was de- actually developed, I think, for the florist industry and then moved into the lawn and garden in- industry. And that, yeah, think yeah. about that. Yeah. But the thing is, if you buy it right now and it's in flower, it's got green tissue on it. You can't yeah. plant it. Yeah, okay, exactly. Until we get past frost. That's right. So, you know, if it's not dormant, it can't go outside yet. And so. it may not bloom this season since yeah. it's already been I mean, forced to it's bloom. It's been forced into bloom. It's got mm-hmm. that nice, beautiful bloom on it, which you can cut off when it gets yucky looking and just keep the house plant and then put it in. And then it will set flowers this summer for the next yeah. year. Right. Okay. Right. And then site it properly. Try not to give it morning sun. Uh, in, in fact, I was explaining. How are we doing on time? We're good. Okay, yeah. uh, I was explaining to the group uh, th- this week that you know if you were going to grow hydrangeas anywhere in the country, Memphis is the worst place. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, because you can grow them in full sun <laughs> in Minnesota. Yeah. They do just fine. In fact, the uh, the um, uh, reblooming ones, uh, uh, mm-hmm. endless summer, was discovered and growing in a field. They had been growing them up at I think it was Bailey's Nursery and and uh, one of I think Durr was up there and he. Looked at there, and it was like March, and he knew they had. I mean, uh, May, and he knew they had had some extremely cold temperatures. He said they sh- they should not be reblooming. Right? How are those know? things? But why are those things blooming? Right, and so ended up with with these. They were about to t- plow them under. Um, so what you're saying is most of the new hybrid hydrangeas, the old pinks and the blues, the ball shape, the macrophilias. Most of those are going to be what they call repeat bloomers or right. re-bloomers because they'll bloom off brand new tissue and they'll also bloom off last year's tissue. Now, if you're expecting a spring bloom in the fall, it ain't happening. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the flowers are going to be scattered. If you don't deadhead, you may not get any at all. Right. Uh, I think a year before last, I left my endless summer, didn't do anything to it, didn't cut the flowers off mm-hmm. of it, and I had one flower mm-hmm. there you go, for a re-bloom. So, um, but anyway, the the reason it's bad here is because what we just went through, our ground freezes and thaws repeatedly. So and when you get like right now, hydrangeas until yesterday, every day this month has been above normal temperature. Uh-huh. So the ground's warm, the buds begin to swell, 
And then if you get a frost on that bud and it's begun to swell, it does exactly what happened to these leaves. Those ice crystals just rip that thing apart. Doesn't hurt the leaves. They come out. They look just Mm -hmm. fine, but you lose your flowers. So plant the reason we told people plant them on the north side of the house is because the ground's colder. Mm -hmm. It slows that bud Mm -hmm. swelling down. So if you mulch them good, that's good. Plant them in the shade, that's good. Mm -hmm. Even under a deciduous tree, it's cooler ground there. So anything you can do to keep morning sun off of them increases your chance of it. And this is the old-fashioned now pinks and blues. That's right. right. And when you're talking about ice crystals shredding them up, it's the ice crystals that form in the water that's in the bud. Caught yeah. in the bud and right. inside the flower tissue, just like yeah. it did in the leaves here. Isn't that okay? crazy? It, it just <laughs> when they're, they're real pretty under a microscope, but they yeah. play havoc on, on tissue. Right. And, yeah. and, and hydrangeas, like I said, there's not a worse place to try to grow them than here in the midsummer. So you were saying that we should plant them where they don't get morning well, they sun. Get the best, best. And, the, and the roots the stay cooler. The best. Yeah, right. they can plant anywhere, really. Right. Except now, I, I can show you one, a huge plant, and that's probably down to the ground this year, not far from my daughter's house, that's on the west side of the house, gets sun, I mean, from maybe 10 o'clock on, is magnificent every year, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but, but that foliage is going to burn. Morning though. sun, though, it doesn't get, and it yeah. always has flowers, and that's and, the key. And, we're, and when hold we're on, saying morning sun, though, we're talking about... I mean, 10 o'clock's not morning sun. No, no. It's yeah. when that sun first comes out in the morning and you've got ice crystals, little frost mm-hmm. in there. That's all it takes. And you get uneven thawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, just right at dawn, you know, as, as we noticed here a minute ago, mm-hmm. the temperatures actually dropped this morning. Yeah. So you get frost uh crystals forming in there. And that's what does the damage to them. But you're saying, but it, normally you would not recommend planting a... A pink or blue ball-shaped hydrangea on the west side of the house, because typically that sun is going to burn that foliage every summer. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, Jim, you did see some on the west side of yeah. the house that were in great bloom. You can go to Jackson, Mississippi, and they grow them in the medians between the interstate yeah. down there in full sun. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. So I mean, they'll tolerate it. Your foliage sometimes isn't as pretty as yeah. it is if you're giving it, protecting it. But as far as the bloom goes. Right, because the bloom's first thing in the season. And think about Japanese maples, same thing. A lot of times we see beautiful Japanese maples out there in full baking sun. Mm -hmm. They'll grow there. Mm -hmm. They will grow there. In fact, you'll still have beautiful fall color. But in the summertime, you're going to have some burn on that foliage every year. That's true. And plants uh, react differently to, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. I looked at the time to see if I had enough time to say it. You do? I don't, because now I don't remember what it is. Well, but I'm telling you, I mean. I'm telling you, I'm worried about these two. My (laughs) thing, (laughs) don't drag me into this. Y'all talk, (laughs) My thing is, though, even though plants can tolerate full sun, a lot of plants, that's not the best place for them. Mm -hmm. And hydrangeas, to me, the old mop head hydrangeas. Now, the paniculatas, the limelights, the little limes, and all those, they can take as much sun as you want to yeah. give them. In fact, they do better in full sun. And, and they bloom on first-year wood, so it doesn't matter where you plant them. They're nope. not going to get Doesn't matter hard. at all. Cut them back hard in the spring, and then you know, by the end of the season, they're six feet tall in full bloom. And I really like them. I mean, they you know you get those really pretty, for the most part, those white blooms most of the summer. And like Jim said, they bloom kind of like a crepe myrtle. You can cut those yeah. things down to the ground. They'll come up and bloom the same year. Not a problem. Right. And I think white's beautiful in the summer. It kind of gives you a calming, cooling effect. 
act, but, but you, to your brain they anyway. They mature to, to some, you know, the reds, like yes. um, the, the uh, quick fire. Yeah. Beautiful mm-hmm. red as, as it, it fades. Matures. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to a break, and hopefully I can remember what I was going to say, but I know I won't. But maybe I will. I'm going to try really hard, but if they keep talking, then I can't remember. That's right. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I didn't have my volume up, so I didn't know anything was happening. <laughs> I'm still lost. Lover. Hey, uh, huh? If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a, a question there. And well, then anytime, you can go to kwimradio.com, uh, listen live, or go back and listen to the podcast. Yeah, um, and, of course, anytime if you got a question, you want to post a picture, you know, you can get in touch with with me or i can get it on to these two mm-hmm. and of course they'll probably forget their answer yeah but, uh, at least you'll be there to remind yeah. us but anyway you can go to the facebook group mid-south gardening and uh, and post it there uh it's a good place to brag it's a good place to ask questions mm-hmm. um and uh, so it's in you know, particularly we've had several this week say i'm new to memphis and you go oh poor soul <laughs> you're <laughs> no, such please, a culture shock <laughs> so, but i'm um, telling you it's a great great facebook page i'm telling you i've been looking at gardening trends again you know there's now there's lots of different people who post the gardening trends and there's a few overlaps on some i think this was actually maybe was from the uk and the thing that was funny to me was talking about reducing dependence on uh, fossil fuels and they're saying don't use uh, garden machines such as mowers chainsaws leaf blowers and weed whips. Mm-mm. That is weed not going to happen. I don't know the weed. No, man. I'm laughing a at we- the weed whip. A weed eater. But so, yeah. But, well, we're going with the, the battery operated. So then I was thinking, okay, I definitely, definitely, because we use the battery operated stuff in all of our uh, gardening things because of the low noise right. that it made and the ease of having the batteries to charge and not having to stop and get the fuel and all and that. batteries are not what they used to be. They're right. much better yeah. Uh, but than does, they used to be. does it so that say reduces your carbon footprint sure. because we're you know being more friendly to the environment at all reducing our personal mm-hmm. carbon footprint and it's also being great for our personal self because we're not having all the noises and the smells and the rattling of all that equipment and stuff but does it really reduce your carbon? Because are we using more to make the batteries? Well, yeah, that's the issue is how much they in, in making the material, whether or not it actually reduces anything. Yeah, so and in most cases, it's pretty close to a, a wash. Right. Yeah. So it just quit with telling me that. Now, hey, Rod, and just, oh, yeah, quit with telling me, you know, do the carbon footprint, save all that, and just, just say, hey. It smells nicer, and it's nicer on your soul. Yeah, you know. You <laughs> Kenneth mentioned a couple of weeks ago about his neighbor that has the uh, the robo mower. R- robo mower. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then this just early in the week, I saw one, and this one, I mean, it looks like it's got 
tractor type <laughs> yes. bulldozer type wow. uh, a track on it right and and it was pretty cool so i just did a little research on mm-hmm. the price of these things mm-hmm. and you know they start from works has got one that's seven or eight hundred bucks right. up to on the seven, low end yeah on the low that is the low end and then twenty five hundred five thousand dollars you know you can easily go to and some of these don't require that you that l- perimeter put, fence around right. that yeah they they know they get to something and they decide i'm not supposed to go there isn't that amazing yeah, yeah. i mean it's got so. a sensor i mean because most of these robomores you know you just they go in the backyard, you cut them on, and they start cutting your grass, and they never stop. Mm-hmm. But most of them, you have to put a uh, perimeter wire around the backyard because that thing will know when it gets to it, turn around, and go back the other way. Well, like Jim was saying, now a lot of these that have optics now uh, and sensors, they don't have to have that. Mm-hmm. They just know when they get close to a flower bed or a walkway or a fence or whatever – uh, you know, even a koi pond, you know, yeah. they know to turn around and go back the other way. But I'm like, golly, man, some of these things are really expensive. So, but going back to the battery operated stuff, and this is battery operated, Jim, as you know, um, I'm like you, Veda. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can all try to do our, you know, our part, but until everybody gets on board, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not yeah, going to be the only one out there suffering. Them. You know, that's the whole thing. So we got to figure that part out. And, but, you know, when you're looking at batteries, particularly for, for vehicles, yes. you know, our electrical system has no way of supporting. If everybody went electric yeah. today, nobody would be able to drive. The grid would come down. Yeah. You know, a typical circuit in a neighborhood can support three to four cars, you know. And you've got, you know, maybe 50 houses or so mm-hmm. on that circuit. There's just no way that you can charge that car, right. charge all your cars and be able to, to run. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that we're, what I'm saying? None of this years is away from being able true. to do it. None of it's bad. I'm all for it. And I'm all glad it's all happening. But uh, just tell me the truth. <laughs> yeah, in California, I think, has already passed a law that by 2035, you cannot buy a gasoline-powered car in California. We'll see how this You can go across the line and buy one yeah. and, and bring it back over. And then you you'll be looked at one. bad. Yeah, and, and, and pollution, you know, as, far as, as far as plant material and pollution, I mean, it is a real thing. And, uh, yes, I mean, there are things like acid rain, that is, you know, rain that comes down that collects pollutants and it acidifies and it can really raise havoc on certain plants. I mean, there are plants that are planted um, – you know, where there's a lot of exhaust, yeah. you know, that uh, it can have a adverse effect on it. But Well, you know, Jim, how we say in water gardens, if, if your water is green with algae, add more plants. If your planet is polluted, add more plants. Yeah, I mean, but, but pollution, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a real thing. It is. But in our own personal little oasis, our landscaped, our, you know, our, our landscaped, you know, plot if yeah. you will i mean all of that helps cleanse you know the air and the water so i like how they've started making the permeable uh, sidewalks driveways and things like yeah. that where the water can actually Pass seep right down mm-hmm. instead of running off yeah, i wish they had done done that or, or taken that into consideration so many of these parking lots where you see this put a tree that has about four square feet of soil that's where right. water yeah. actually can get through that's right you know and they could have for oh. years put holes in this but if you put a hole in it water gets there and it can yeah. freeze and expand and cause you issues but you know, it would be so much better to uh, to use a permeable 
for for parking lots and roadways. Uh, Man, I didn't even think about that for plants. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to help a lot, actually. And you wonder, I'm telling you, you wonder sometimes, I mean, and what comes to my mind is, let's say the campus of uh, UT Knoxville, okay? Mm -hmm. You'll see a lot of these uh, sidewalk trees. Yeah. You know, growing in their little, like Jim's talking about, their Mm -hmm. little hole, you know, in the sidewalk. And the only place it ever gets water is in that little place right there because it's surrounded by asphalt concrete. And you wonder how anything survives. And thank Mm -hmm. goodness it does. How about one time I was in San Francisco and there was a two by three square thing of dirt up against the wall on the sidewalk. A Hollywood juniper was growing there. They had a number of them down the side of that sidewalk. In that little, t- and you know, how big's a Hollywood juniper get? And these are the me. same junipers, if you've ever driven down right. Humphreys, yes. you know, uh, you'll see them in the median. 20 and they by get, 30. Yeah, yeah, they get big. But right. they're growing. I mean, of course, they're not that big, but they're still growing there. And thank goodness they're growing there. But ama- imagine how much longer and how much healthier our plants can be if we start using that permeable product. For- so he said no plant wants to die before yeah. its time. <laughs> If it, it dies true. before it's time, you killed you it. You killed it. You did it. What else was the... Uh, um, <laughs> you tell me it's not true, Jim. Well, it is. You either gave it something it didn't need or it needed something you didn't give that it. That is so and, true. You know, it's I'm like being you. pregnant. You either are or aren't you? But, but for example, though, <laughs> planting, but planting the right plant in the right spot is a big deal, too, because you know we're talking about even these little sidewalk trees. You can't just go out at random and, and choose just any tree and stick it out there and expect it to live, you know? Uh, even though that tree wants to live. But if you give it the right environment, that's my big thing. If you give the plant the right environment to succeed and grow in, then, yes, it's our fault if the thing doesn't make it, right? But if you want to do something fun, take one of these glass elevators in a tall building around here or a Clark Tower or something and go up and look across Mm -hmm. the city. You cannot see homes. It's true. Yeah, it's true. This is a a city of trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and most of these are oak trees. And like Jim said, most of these are shallow-rooted oak trees because of the clay soil that they're growing in. If you've ever seen one blown over, which we all have, it brings up, you know, this, this whole root mass comes up laying there on the ground. And the roots are just no more than 12 inches down. I just down. get so paranoid people are not going to, like, plant a tree to replace the tree that died. Or they're just not going to plant trees because there's too many trees. But it seems like Memphis is pretty much holding uh, holding on with all the amount of trees, even though we lose some. Because you're right. You do. You When I was noticing, just looking at Google Earth, looking at other cities, looking here, looking there. I'm like, you don't really see the houses. We do actually have a lot of trees. Yes, we do. Yeah. And those trees are doing a lot of good stuff, too. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So beautiful weather today, um, looks like anyway. And has everything dried up? I think we're still good and wet outside, but yeah, but still pliable soil, easy to work in it. It's just been miserable this week to me. It seemed like well, it's been cloudy. You know, it's cloudy, been rainy. you know just and yesterday was chilly enough to feel chilly. So I am ready to break outside and clean well, up, look, feed the birds, sweet. Yeah, you spring. You know, spring fever. Wait, what? Let's see. What? Let me check the weather while you talk. While I but this is you know this is still just January today. Forty three degrees and oh, sunny. So, so it's, and sunny. So that means in the sun it's fifty three degrees. I mean there are things <laughs> that we can do. So outside. it's great weather. I mean it's thirty two now, but that's okay. It's sunny, so that means it feels like forty. T- I mean, 
Yeah, 42. When you're in the sun, you can do just about anything. Well, but, but turn around the house to the corner where the wind and shade and forget it. You want to go inside and build a fire. Yeah, I mean, as bad as we want spring to get to be here, it's, it's not here yet, I promise you. No, I and just want we can't some forget that. Days, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just, just for the, the health of our mentality, right? Right, right. But kind of a recap, guys, on, on what the, the do's and don'ts this time of year. Um, I mean, you can surely put lime down. Uh, if your pH is off, Jim was talking about that earlier to make sure your pH is because uh, they were talking about the fireplace ashes. You want to make sure your pH is up around six and a half, whether it's your lawn or your uh, vegetable garden, especially those two places. Azaleas five and a half, blueberries five to four and a half. Pachysandra, you know, yeah. five. I mean, it needs to be low. So you don't put lime on everything. But this is a good time of year to put lime down mm-hmm. because it takes a while for lime typically to break down and alter the pH, right? So keep that in mind. Pre-emergence. Uh, if you haven't put a pre-emergent down, this is a good time of year to get that first application down. Because what the pre-emergent does, as we all know, is it keeps weed seed from germinating later on. And all we need is a week of warm weather, and you're going to start getting seeds to germinate. So do it now. Come back in about three months. Make sure you do it again, and you'll keep a lot of that stuff from ever coming up. And then another thing we're talking about is... I know things look horrible out there. We all do. Uh, really bad as far as that last freeze that we had. It's a little premature to go out there and start cutting things back right now. I mean, if you know something's dead, like we said, mm-hmm. you can selectively always cut out something that's dead. But going out there, just just cutting things back because they look bad, it's a little early to get yeah. that done. Right. Like Jim said, if you see green, stop. And don't don't prune far down into green because we're worried that if you do some severe pruning or prune too far down in the green, that new growth will sprout out. Well, you're encouraging new growth right. to come out, and plus, because of our weather, will be warm. If it would stay cool the whole time, the new which growth which ain't going to happen, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, we know things look bad, and and then what about guys going out there and getting the leaves that have fallen? Um, do y'all want to go ahead and get those out of the beds now, or do y'all really think keep, it's an issue? Or I'm going to keep mine in there for a while. I mean, if it's real thick, I might, you know, take some out because too much. Or does it really even it. matter? Like, for example, I saw this holly the other day, massive holly, 15 foot tall, uh, 10 foot wide. Every leaf on this mm-hmm. thing had fallen off. Oh, I think you got to move those. I mean, but, yeah, but, I think you got to take those away because it seems like the, the amount i mean the whole bush just it, a big old pile of leaves around the crown well it, no it was like snow all uh-huh. up under leaves yeah up under this holly in fact it looked surreal there was so many yeah, leaves on the ground but a lot of people uh in fact had a lady call me the other day she's like oh my gosh are i going to get these leaves up i was like absolutely you can do it mm-hmm. at your convenience i mean it's not like they're hurting anything though yeah, like, the only thing i'd be concerned about is if they you got a lot to have dropped down on ground covers Mm-hmm. You want to get that, you know. My snow and summer jasmine looks really bad. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, it. There may be a little life in it, but I mean, every time I look at it, it's looking worse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you know, any sunlight that you can get down mm-hmm. in there is going to be helpful. What about harboring like diseases or fungus? Well, if, if you it's if you have, much. I agree. If you have a a shrub that you know had a disease on it, then yeah, those leaves I want to get the heck out of there. But we talked about this about a month ago, trying to keep the ground covers as debris-free as you possibly can. And think about it. Uh, and, and under this big holly, y'all, was Pachysandra. Mm-hmm. And these leaves were all in it, I'm telling yeah. you. So yeah. now it's going to be hard to get those leaves out, uh, but you need try to try to get them out. Get your blower and try to get as many of those out. You know, Right now, I'm not 
terribly concerned about disease because it's we're still getting enough cool weather that you're not going to get a lot of decomposition on that material. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's say we've already, every day this month except yesterday, it was above no, normal temperatures. So it ain't going to be long before mm-hmm. you're going to get particularly soil surface you're going to get bacteria and fungus beginning to go go hey it's springtime and yeah. you know here so, we go with that right? yeah so. yep and um house plants still good day today to water them buy turn them, them buy them buy them yeah wash, wash them <laughs> yeah just buy them after. i mean it's like your house feels naked because all your christmas stuff's gone you know you're used to seeing your tree in that corner or your nice christmas amaryllis or whatever so you know you can get house plants that have colorful foliage also well there are house plant connoisseurs out there and everything in between is talking to a lady in fact she bought two house plants from me early in the week and she already has over 200 mm-hmm. house plants in her house yeah Love and it. two things that are going on here one is you've got 200 house plants mm-hmm. second of all at some point you have counted them okay yeah, so it, right. so you so it makes a difference. They know. People they know, Veda. Exactly it is, how many plants. It is amazing, and they're always looking for something right. else, another type of houseplant. Now, there are some people like me. Mm-hmm. You know, we might have five total six houseplants in our house. They're great looking. They're, they're, they're spaced apart. They're in these strategic places where we need a houseplant. I can't imagine having 200 houseplants yeah. in the house. Well, they're using them as replacements for art and furniture, too. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I mean sure they're not sitting on them, but I mean, you know, like sometimes you're like, well, that 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 corner over there is bare, and so we're going to buy a dresser to go in it or, or a chair to go there or a hat rack. And, and now, so the, the question is, are those 200 houseplants helping your air quality? No. Yeah. Well, it depends on how many you have per square foot. Yeah, and the answer is no. Yeah. Yes, it does. No, it does. But yes. Veda, I'm telling you, it, 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 and listen, and I love people. Don't get me wrong, because those people don't get. Well, me no, wrong. I'm saying that the people that have that many house plants, I love the passion of those people mm-hmm. and their house plants. To me, you know, we've we've all sold house plants for the last forty years. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. in the last four or five years, and I guess COVID had a lot to do with that. House plants are the new king. I'm telling you, they just—they really are. Man, it's really frustrating too. It's—it's it's difficult because the pricing is so off the wall between what you can get online, what you can get at a garden center. Nothing matches. Nothing's comparable. Well, years yeah. ago, I would butt my head against the wall if I ever saw a house plant that was ninety dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's common because mm-hmm. there's so many new hybrids out there remember i was talking about a house plant uh you know last late fall mm-hmm. where they the only way they can create this house plant is by culture tissue okay yeah. not by root production or by seed just the leaf leaf uh tissue and out of all these uh, leaf tissues they do out of a hundred you might get two that come out the color that they're looking for the pink princes maybe that for was example yeah. exactly yeah. yeah they are expensive well let's go um we can take a call real quick. We've got Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. You're in the garden. Yes, I've got a question. Does your yard need lime every year? Depends. If if you've got somebody taking care of it, if you're fertilizing two or three times a year, then I would say about every other year is a good rule of thumb. 
but it's you know I would you most garden centers will check it for free. Yeah, you can buy a little meter for under thirty bucks that will last a lifetime and mm-hmm. give you a good idea. So it's it's important to check. But you know, for years we told people that if you're fertilizing regularly, you should think about liming about every other year. Right, and I still think that holds uh, true. Barbara is I mean because. You know, the pH of your lawn is not going to change overnight, but it will change. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, because naturally around here, our, our soils go, they turn more acidic. And Jim was making the comment about putting those fertilizers down, and some of us overdo that. Well, that also tends to acidify the soil. Right, and our rain acidifies the soil. Okay, our, we, we always have acidic rain. It's about 5.6. You know, what you do out of your water hose is about 7. It's neutral. But, but like, so the... To, it never hurts to check it every year, but typically people are liming like every other year, Miss Barbara. Okay. I, for some reason, I thought for years it was every two or three years. Now this lawn company's telling me every year, mm. and I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, they sell lime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It too. Exactly. <laughs> so usually every other year, Barbara. Okay. Right. I will start checking on them. Sounds good. They need it. We Thank all you, need babe. it. Uh, <laughs> have a great you. weekend. Thanks for the call. That was a really good call, a really good question. But yeah. you're right. I mean, it, and it all it's all it all varies, but hardly ever do I know of a lawn that needs to be limed every mm-hmm. year. You know? I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but, but you should it check doesn't. it. Even if you're having a professional, check it because a lot of times they're not liming enough. Yeah, that's a good point, too. So there. Nobody's perfect. We all got to help each other out, and that's what's great about gardeners. We'll see you next Saturday in the garden.